Hey everybody, this is Theophilus from TZ Coaching and you're listening to the Noble Father Podcast. Whether you're a dad that stays at home, works from home, or away from home, our roles are essential. To a son, it's an illustration of how life as a man is done, and to a daughter, an example of the type of man to look for in the future. But in either case, a noble father stands firm for what he believes, leads with his actions, and embodies a healthy balance of body, mind, and spirit. He pushes himself hardest and commands his time respectfully because he knows how precious the present is. Join me as we discover what it means to live as a noble father. Hello fellow superheroes, this is Spider-Man for a cause and it is my blessing to introduce to you the Noble Father Podcast with your host, Theopolis. In today's podcast, we'll be following the journey of a young noble father by the name of Ruben and what it means to him to be a noble father. Stay tuned for a wonderful episode. This is Spider-Man for a Cause, and I approve this message. Well, welcome everybody to the Noble Father Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Theophilus, and this is my guest, Ruben. Hello. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, I mean, Ruben is a member of our community, uh, Noble Father. Uh, you know, we meet every Thursdays, and uh, and we have other things and other gatherings that we do, and we're just uh, we're just we're all just fathers looking to do life better uh and and help each other to grow and and man it's it's been more of a community uh more of a family than anything um and today I, you know for this podcast episode this is a very special one i i've i've been wanting to have this conversation with ruben for a long time actually we haven't even really you know privately connected one on one so this is kind of like uh our very first kind of a very first private conversation uh how are you feeling this this morning? I'm counting the blessings every day, my friend. You know, God is good. And, you know, I got my trials and tribulations I'm facing. But, you know, at the end of the day, God's with me. And that's what's important. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Uh, so you know, maybe we could start with, you know, how you came to Noble Father. Like, how did you hear about it? How did you get here? Yeah. So um, this year I was going through and I've been part of support groups before. And I knew it was imperative for me, especially with some of the things I was facing being a military man, um, that I need to connect with with uh, men on a different level, on a personal level. Um, because the reality is, you know, God didn't make us lone wolves. He wants us to be together in a pack to be able to, you know, strive together in this world. And so as I was going through, I saw one of your posts. And then that's when I started inquiring. I think we talked a little bit, too. Like a little comment back and forth. Right. And then um, I ended up joining in. And I mean, it's been truly a blessing because, you know, as I started going to some of the meetings and, and just getting to know the people, um, it was an environment where you can tell, you know, everybody was just bringing who they were. It was very authentic. And it was just like, you know, come as you are. We're here to support and help where we can, but we're going to be in this together. And especially in this day and age, it's hard to find authenticity like that. And so it was like finding a gold nugget, you know, and I just as soon as I got in there, I was just like, okay, this is something I want to be a part of for a very long time. Yeah, and that was and, and I tried to go back to fi- figure out when was the first day you came. Um, but, you know, I think with the registration, like it's hard to figure that out because everybody's trying to, you know, re-register. And so we kind of lose that. Um, but, man, it's been a long time since I've done some of these guest interviews, uh, you know, with with members on the community. And, uh, you know, really, it's just a conversation. I love to hold space for people and and just so when I have conversations with other other guys and other fathers, they, you know, I always 
come away thinking I should have hit the record button. So, um, you know, I'm interested to hear about your life, like, uh, you know, however far you want to go. I mean, I'd love to hear about, you know, the, the question usually that I ask is, uh, tell me about when you became a father. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I started off very young. I, I knew what I wanted. Um, you know, I wanted a big family. I, I wanted kids. Um, and that's the way I presented it to my wife when I was about 17 years old. Wow. <laughs> and I told her, I was just like, we were dating. She was my first girlfriend. I didn't want anything else in life. I grew up without a father, wow. raised by a single mom in San Bernardino. Anybody that knows San Bernardino, they know it's a very ghetto place, very yeah. bad. Like if you're, if you're, if you run out of gas, <laughs> stay in your vehicle, <laughs> don't get out. Um, but when you grow up in that kind of environment, um, you know, you strive to want more, you strive to want to do better than that. And I got very blessed because I had goals set for me to get me in a better position. And so when me and my wife met and I told her I'm a Christian, I'm joining the military and I want a big family, you know, are you down for that? She's just like, okay, well, you know, let me think about it. But the best part was when I did sign up for the military, I asked her, could she wait for me? And you know what she said? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> and so, and, and even though that may sound bad, okay, that may sound bad. You got to remember being a young teen at that, at that time, anybody's, everybody most of the time is going to be like, oh yeah, I'll wait for you forever. You're my true love, all this stuff. Right. She was real. And that was a breath of fresh air because I grew up in, in, in with gangs and drugs and alcoholics that always told lies that will, you know, make you seem like you're on top of the world only to make you crash down later. And so for her to tell me that, you know, I was just like, that's the one right there. And of course, you know, as soon as I joined the military and she was there for me every step of the way, we got married, we had our kids and I got four beautiful children. I got uh, an eight year old right now. I got me a 16 year old boy and a nine and a six-year-old little girls. And, you know, I'm just truly blessed um, to be a father, to be a husband, a, a family man. And most importantly, you know, just striving to be a man of God because I can't do this without him. He's the one that gave me the guide because growing up without a father, that's like you're at a disadvantage. Statistics are already against you not having a father, especially growing up in the environment that I grew up in. And so seeking God at an early age and then getting out of the environment through the military and then getting a, a great wife who I've been so blessed to have, um, I was truly, truly just in a good path for that beginning start point. Wow. And, and I know faith is a huge component in your life. Uh, and it sounds like, man, you had a really good head on your shoulder, even at 17, if you're having these kind of conversations and revelations about your, you know, your significant other's response to that question how how big of like can you can you walk me through your faith journey how did you get to that at 17 and without a dad i mean you're you are an anomaly uh crazy anomaly actually yeah i mean i'll be honest with you you know i grew up in a mexican family and you know you get the crosses and the Our Lady of guadalupe the you know different rosaries and all that kind of stuff um but that's all for all show for the most part, you know, there's the drinking and, you know, your family doing drugs and, you know, everybody wants to be a gang. And, and it was not all of the people were bad. But to me, if you're not striving to help people, you're part of the system as well. You know, not doing anything is just as bad as doing the bad stuff. And my mom being a single mom, you know, she's limited. I had to go stay with my grandmother uh, while she goes work. And I had a little brother. 
And so one of the biggest things for me was knowing that my brother, who was five years younger than me, no matter what path I go down, my brother wouldn't be that far behind me. I was the man of the house at a very young age. I was the father figure. I was the one that needed to make sure that I can stand up for my family. And so going through that and knowing that there was a God, but not exactly knowing how that fit, I started looking for a father figure, you know, and at a young age you do, but in that environment, you get let down, you know, you get, you know, things happen and you're just like, okay, well, obviously I can't trust any men, <laughs> but, and then God comes in, you know, and he starts to little scriptures here and there start to pop up. And I didn't come from a religious family at all. We went to church maybe once every three months and it wasn't, you know, it was more robotic. It was just go there. Hey, hail Mary's and then come back home and not applying anything, not talking about it. My mom always did believe in God, but it's just being able to live it. That's a difference. Right. And so I had a, a relative of mine that uh, was dying of cancer. Um, and I started praying, just walking to school. I think it was like 14 years old. And as I started walking to school, I just started talking to God. All right, Lord. Well, you know, I, I pray that my, my family member gets healed, feels better. And as I started going on these walks and, you know, for me, <laughs> that walk was like a good 30 minutes away from home. So going there and back, you know, you get a good, you get to know God a little bit more. And that's what I always tell people, you know, the first step in having a relationship with God is you don't even need to go to church, to be honest. If you're skeptical, if you're afraid, just talk to him. Just like with anybody, just talk. You know, what do you have to lose? Just one moment of just trying to have a conversation. You'll be surprised what you might get back. And that's what happened to me. And eventually I was guided. I was guided to open up the Bible. And then I was guided by his spirit. And the, the way the image that I got is like this. It's just like, you know, it's like Reuben. You can walk and talk with me all you want, but unless you have a map and a compass, you're never going to get to where I want you to be. And so I'm like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, what's the map? Well, the map is my Bible. And what's the compass? My spirit is your compass. You need both of them in order to make it through to become who you need to be in this world. And so that's what I started doing. I started praying and just accepting his spirit into my life and opening up the Bible and just seeking his word. And sure enough, you know, he opened up my eyes and like I said, growing up in, the, in that kind of environment, you learn how to go against the world because for them, it's just like, oh, you know, have a drink or, hey, try this or, hey, you can sleep with this girl. And you're just a teen, you know. And so when you don't end up going down that path that they want to do, you know, you start getting you start getting ostracized. You start getting put down. You start, you know, oh, you got something wrong with you. Why don't you want to do what we do? But what I didn't realize is God was forming my character. Because eventually, as I start going in, growing up in the world, I realize that there's a lot of systems in which you might be the only one that has to stand up. But that's what's needed in order to make a change, to be that one person. Wow. Wow. I mean, and from the short time that I've known you, you know, and this this you're giving me a lot of context, even from just that that beginning share of your your childhood and how you found God, because a lot of the times whenever I'm I don't know how you do it, but, you, you know, I, I find myself in a in a in a difficult position or whatever. And, you know, we also do the Bible studies, you know, for, for a noble father. And you always have you have such good knowledge of the of the word and you have such good grasp of it. You just know which verse to give in that moment of need and it's no wonder because i mean you told me you've just shared about you know being in the military at a very young age and from what i know about you right now you're still in you're still there you're still dedicated to that you're still uh you know part of that and 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 so to see 
it's it's so amazing. It's incredible to see somebody so dedicated and somebody so um like no, you're living it, bro. You're absolutely living the faith. You are walking it and and for you to get it at such a young age, man, I want I I, I wonder sometimes what my life would have been like if I got it at, at such a young age. Yeah. And I mean, everybody has their time in it. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I wish I can say I stayed the course, but I didn't, you know, when you join the military and, and then you start going to deployments and PTSD during certain situations, you know, I, I started losing losing my way. And, you know, a preacher said it best. He said, you can be a Christian for 40 years. You can do great things, start orphanages, feed the homeless, but you step out of the will of God for one moment and you will fall like you never knew him. And that was a path that I myself went through. And God does have his timings. God does have his reasons for the seasons. It's just being able to know that no matter what happens, uh, when we are called to come to him, and if we have those moments where we fall, we always have that choice. That's the beautiful thing about it, the loving father we have. He gives us choice. You can either stay down in the darkness with Satan, or you can get back up with Christ and have him reveal the glory that he has for you. There is no pain that we go through that goes to waste. There's a reason for it all. It's just being able to continuously trust in him. Wow. Wow. And that's so interesting because, you know, um, you know, as you're talking there, you know, I, I just, I just think in my head, you know, and, and I tried to relate it back to, to, to myself of like, you know, I made the decision, you know, to, when I came to the fork in the road of either to be a police officer or be a father. And when I think of you and I think of your life, you know, choosing to go down the route of being a military man, but then also you want to be a dad, like how was how was that because you know when we look at social no not social media if you look at media and you know what we know about being a military man it's so easy to think that um oh you know it's it's doomed for failure because you know military man's going to leave and you know wife is going to be by themselves with their kids and then there's going to be the separation and it's going to be irreparable not to mention coming back from whatever deployment and stuff that the person may not be the same again i mean how to me, I know that your family is still together. You guys are still, you're still wanting to lead and you are still seen as a leader of the family. You walk us through how, how did that whole journey unfold for you? So it, it definitely is a journey. It's one where no matter what happens, as long as you're willing to grow through it, you will be where you need to be. And, you know, I wish I can say it was sunshine and rainbows, but it, it wasn't, you know, there's no instruction manual that says like, hey, you know, you're married with a kid and you go on your first deployment. What exactly does that look like? Because every person is different. Every family is different how they handle this kind of stuff. And for me and my wife, I I, I signed up for a search and rescue. And for me, it, military is a good um, car salesman. They presented it to me like, are you afraid of heights? I'm like, no. Do you like to swim? Yeah, sure. I like to swim. All right. Well, we got this special program just for you. Okay, cool. Sign me up. Da, da, da. You know, young young kid, you know, let's go save people. I just wanted to help people. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a difference. And, um, you know, obviously, when I started going through the program, I found out it was two years long. I found out it's a very tough program. <laughs> the The first eye opener was when the uh, instructor in these like UDT shorts uh, gives me a brick and says, hold it above the water and swim back and forth. And there's a grip of us. And it's just like, okay, like for, for how long until I get tired? And this guy is not swimming. He's just standing there. <laughs> wow. So that's sort of the intro of my uh, going into that kind of program. But, you know, for two years, uh, as I was going through it, my wife actually stayed back in California and I went to Florida to go through everything. 
And um, I wish I can say that everything went smooth for the training, but we were hit by Hurricane Ivan, part of the training as I was going through search and rescue. And that was my first time in a hurricane. And um, I got to tell you, man, it's one of those situations where I'm a California guy. I'm used to earthquakes. I'm not used to a ceiling lifting up. And in the military, God bless the military. They try. They really do. But they were like, okay, well, we don't think this hurricane is going to hit us. So we're just going to put you like 10 miles away from the coast. When it passes by, we'll go back to doing search and rescue training. Be good to go, right? Let this be a lesson learned. Listen to the local. All right. Listen to the guy that may sound crazy, but there's some truth to him. That's the person that I listen to because he's just like, how should I say this in non-military terms? This thing's about to take a crap and you better make sure you're prepared because it's going to be right on us. (laughs) And he's just like, get money out. For those of you who've never been in a hurricane, power goes out, right? So you make sure you get your cash pulled out. You make sure you get extra food, water, all that kind of stuff, contact information and have Verizon. Verizon was the only phone service that worked during that time. (laughs) Verizon sponsoring this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That was the only thing that worked for anybody, but you know, that, and the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, obviously that, that hurricane did hit us and we were in a building where they had a, we're on the second, second floor and they brought us down. They're like, Hey, you know, ceilings lifting up, get down, get down. We rushed down there and, you know, it was like a war zone. Like everything was like, everything blew up and, you know, we come out there finally when we're able to, and then we started the humanitarian stuff, helping out the community and stuff like that. But that created a longer wait time for me and my wife to be together. Because now we're on pause for about six months while we try to do this recovery, you know, and like no power, no, no water, no nothing. It's like worst case scenario, bro. And you're stuck in this for a while. And I mean, and it, nothing compared to the communities that were out there, of course, because, you know, I'm, I'm from California. So my family was fine. But for those families out there, you know, God, God bless them. They, they definitely came together. But yeah, I was away from my wife for, for over a year, my wife and my little girl. And while I was going through training. And, um, you know, my wife, I tell you, my, my wife's one of the strongest people I know. When you join the military, it's not just you, it's your whole family. Your whole family's joining the military. Right. Your whole family signs up for it. And, you know, when we finally did get back together, um, we met up in a different section of Florida and Jacksonville when I reached a different phase of my training. And, uh, you know, we had our first apartment, you know, my, my little daughter, you know, little tiny thing would wait for me when I come home in my flight suit. I had a flight suit at that time and, uh, you know, just going through and just trying to be the best father I can be. You know, you try to balance it out. And, and though you're not sure how to do it, you just try to listen to what they say. You know, you try to, you know, follow God at, at the same time. And um, while you're going through your stressors, while you're going through your hardships, even though, you know, I wish I would have learned this a lot sooner. Don't bring that home. Just don't bring it home. You hang that up before you walk to that door because your family has nothing to do with those hardships. Your family will help you through the hardships because they love you and they'll be right by your side. But it's not something for them to carry. That's for you to carry. And as long as you do that in regards to, you know, carrying it yourself, uh, you'll be okay. And when I say carry yourself, I don't mean like, you know, okay, all by yourself. I mean, in the sense of like having a community, like noble father, you know, uh, talking to counselors, uh, praying, going to the faith, that kind of stuff. Don't be that person that comes in because you had a bad day, you stressed out and you yell at everybody, you know, that's where I'm in context for that one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that's a lot. And, and yeah, like the, even just the understanding that, you know, for every boot on the ground, there's like four support people 
supplying that guy, supporting that guy to yeah. be able to be as functional as he is on the on the field. Um, wow, that's amazing. I I can't imagine what your wife went through and is still probably going through as you're still in. And I mean, I'm sure you have a lot to say about that. Yeah, my 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 wife is a champion. Mil military wives are not given enough credit, to be honest with you. They are phenomenal. Some of the strongest people I've ever met, and you know, you can't even put into words for the ones where, you know, their husbands don't come back, their their wives don't come back, you know, their mom doesn't come back, their dad doesn't come back, you know, because guess what? Life still goes on. And in the back of your head, when we go on deployments, they have that in the back of their head until they come back. And that's a very heavy cross to carry, very heavy cross to carry, because there's no guarantees. And I've just been so blessed to serve with so many of my brothers that some of them, unfortunately, even though they're not here, um, you know, just to be able to have called them my friends and my brothers and my sisters, you know, is truly, truly, um, truly a blessing. Wow. Uh, you know, I, and I, I always envision these podcasts to be kind of like a time capsule of sorts. And I know that you have, you have four kids. Yeah, four kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear the the story of how you became a father from the first one to the fourth one. I mean, you because I feel like the spread is so it's so it's pretty spread out. Like the age that the age group of your of, of yeah. your kids. Um, you know, that first one must be must have been a doozy because you know going into the military and she, you know, your wife is you know learning what it means to be a military wife and and. And, and, you know, the first child's always, you know, the, the most profound <laughs> one, obviously. And, and I want to, I want to get that story and, and hopefully one day, you know, your daughter can come back or, you know, just listen to, to, to know the small little details that, you know, from dad's perspective of how that all unfolded. Yeah. I mean, you know, my Christina, she's 18 now, she turns 19 next month. And, um, you know, I know she doesn't like it when I say this, but, you know, I'm just like, unfortunately, darling, you're the guinea pig. You're the one we learn from because, <laughs> you know, the older ones are just like, well, you never did that for me. You know, when they start seeing the younger <laughs> siblings or you weren't like that or you were more strict with me, you know, and it's just like, I'm sorry. It's just we were, we were learning. Um, and, and my daughter, my oldest one, you know, when she was born, you know, my, my wife, she was 18 years old. I was 19 years old and I was in the military at that time and I, I was able to fly back and. I was able to to see her born, thank goodness. And uh, unfortunately, I had to get back to to my base in, in Florida. She was in California, and uh, my daughter had to go back into the hospital. She had jaundice, but she was okay. You know, jaundice is one of those conditions where you know you're lacking um, like vitamin D or whatnot. You have to go underneath the little light. And uh, for me, that that was hard. That was very hard because I had to go back. My daughter was it wasn't anything life threatening. And having to say goodbye to my wife as my daughter's in this little thing, incubator thing, you know, that's that was the first time I probably cried in front of my wife. Wow. And so when you get those moments in the military where you want to be there every second, every moment, and you're not able to, you know, it really breaks your heart. But you both know what you signed up for right. and you, you you push forward in that. Mm -hmm. And the military is supportive. If it's something like drastic, something life threatening, they, they will send a Red Cross and you will be able to support Um where, where you need to, but for something, you know, John, this is, is a minor thing in that case. And so I had to come back. And so, you know, I, I wish I can say that, you know, things were sunshine, sunshine and rainbow after that, but we ended up no joke. You ready for this one? We had a first apartment and then like six months later, the whole place burned down. Yeah. We lost everything. So, so check this out, Theo. All right. Check this out. 
this is my first, I guess, big test from the Lord of forgiveness. So my mom, it was uh, the day before 4th of July, I believe. And uh, my mom and my brother came down. We're living in Jacksonville, Florida. Me and my wife and my little girl, you know, trying to make a, make a family for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're on the second story of an apartment complex and beautiful place. We loved it. You know, our first place, our first home together. And we all went to sleep. And all of a sudden, my mom gets up. I don't know how your guys' mom is, but no matter how old you get, my mom's always going to check up on me. You know, so, but I always tell her, hey, make sure you knock on the door. (laughs) And so she comes, she stands up and then she, she she starts yelling. It's the middle of the night. She's like, there's a fire. There's a fire. And, you know, I wake up and and I'm a bit of a, you know, trying to organize my thoughts here. And I have my little girl and her little bit next to me and my wife on the left side here. And as I get up and there's just smoke starting to fill. And so we, we keep it, we, you know, gather ourselves, we get out of there. We're like, you know, smoke alarms didn't go off. We're like, where's the fire? Is it our place? And as we left, we saw that it was the apartment behind us. And so my first thought is, okay, who's up, bro? We were the first ones up. Nobody else was up. Oh, wow. And so what people, what people don't realize about fires, especially at nighttime, it's, it's not so much the flames that kill you. It's the smoke, smoke yeah. and it starts on top and it comes down. So when you're asleep and you're on the lower level, by the time you get up, you're breathing it all in, you choke, you fall to the ground and then the flames get you. Right. And so my mom saved our life and we started going at the doors, knocking, knocking, getting everybody out. Boom, 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 boom. And I went to the back of the, the apartments because I knew they had kids, you know, and I'm just like, OK. And Theo, when I knocked on that door and I yelled and I finally was able to sort of kick it open a little bit. It looked like a gateway to hell. Like it just looked flames everywhere. Wow. And now you, you know, you have to make a decision, you know, like, okay. So I yell out, I'm just like, you know, I know they have kids. And like if I heard, if I would have heard one kid cry, I would have wouldn't that. I don't care. Right. But I didn't hear anything. And so there's nothing I can do. So, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, I don't know what happened to them, but I went to the other houses and like like a comedy movie of some sort, we, we get this one old lady and, you know, she finally opens up a door. We get her out. We get her downstairs. She's like, my cats, my cats. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I was like, OK, her, her apartment's already filled with smoke. I'm just like, you know what? She's an old lady. She'll probably be depressed. I'm going to go back in there and get that cat. So I go back in there for Fluffy. I grab Fluffy, throw Fluffy out. My other cat. you got to be kidding me. There's another <laughs> Go back in there. Me and my brother go back in there this time. And then there's whatever snowball, whatever. And, you know, I, I hate to say it. I, I wasn't playing around with snowball. And as soon as he got to the door, I kind of pushed him out. And then, you know, we got our cats. <laughs> but wow. but at the at the end of the day, though, bro, um, you know, we we called 911 and then we found the family that lived behind us and they were on lawn chairs. They were watching the place burn. And uh and so we looked at the report and we found out that we were the first ones to call 911. And the guy and his family didn't wake up anybody. We were the first one. We woke everybody up. We got everybody out of that out of that that place before it burned down. And he didn't. He didn't. He just sat there in the lawn chairs. This was after you rescued it, like not rescued everybody, but just like warned. Yeah, yeah. No, we went to the door. We got everybody out. Like how big was his apartment, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, let's see. So you got two stories you got your 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 forward you got your aft so about one two three four five six seven so probably about like eight eight households worth of people um 
And this and, guy's from this household as well? Yeah, he was the one right behind me. So it, it turned out that this is this guy actually is where it started from. And so from his story, he was just like, okay, you know, well, I, I was grilling in the back and I fell asleep and the charcoal fell over, which by policy, you're not supposed to grill on a second story apartment complex, especially when your deck is wooden. Um, and so, and he was just like, it caught fire and he left. He didn't call 911. He didn't want to wake up the neighbors. Well, turns out we, we, people were reporting him shooting fireworks off of his balcony. And we think that's how it started. And we think it was fear that got him. And you want to know the, even the worst part about this, bro. He was at my command. He was in the military. He was part of my same uh, squadron. So it's, it, um, he wasn't the friendliest guy, to be honest. Um, you know, I tried to say hi to him, but he didn't seem like the, the nicest person. And uh, and so God gave me my first real test and forgiveness because I was mad. Wow. Like he almost yeah. killed my family. Right. You know, and others, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, you, yeah. and you said his family. So clearly this guy was a dad. Yeah, he was a dad. He had like three, four kids. And I was I was willing to risk my life to go in there and to save his kids if I hurt any of them. Wow. But he didn't have the courtesy to come over and knock on my door and say, hey, get out before you burn. And so for me, going through that, I really had to seek God. And God showed me, it was just like, you know, you have to forgive. And just like, look at the whole scenario. Just look at everything. You made it out. You helped a lot of people. You grew. So I forgave. And he he got sued by the apartment complex like for half a million dollars. Oh, so yeah, yeah, it's not even so, enough. I mean, that's lifelong trauma probably for some people. And yeah, it, mm -hmm. it it was. And for my wife, you know, for me at that time, I wasn't the person I was today. For me, it was always push forward. We're gonna move forward. My wife wanted to mourn, and for me, I was just like, we got to keep going. Wow. You know, so. how, how old were you in this? I mean, it sounds like if you're in training, I'm 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 assuming you were probably like nineteen, maybe twenty one yeah. or whatever. Yeah, no, nine, about 19, about to turn 20, I believe. Yeah, I think I turned 20 wow. that year. Yeah. Yeah, and I think of, you know, and, and, you know, there is a part of me that's like, wow, that guy's a, you know, a total D-bag. But, you know, at the same time, I'm like, I, I think to myself, I was like, man, like, what kind of upbringing did this guy have, you know, to to end up being this way, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, it goes down to fear, you know? We all have this image of ourselves doing things in certain situations a certain way. You know, some people think of Hollywood as, okay, that's the way it's going to be. But you really don't know how you're going to act. You don't know how you're going to perform until it, the time does happen. But being able to carve your character now and, and, and implement certain standards in your life in the small things will eventually lead you to do them in the big things. But if you're not able to do them in the small things, don't think you're going to be able to do them in the big things because the odds are against you. And I think fear is what really gripped him. I think the fear of getting in trouble is what really got him. Yeah, that could be something historical too. And, and it's so interesting because even the smallest things like, um, you know, we have our member Dan in our group, right? He was talking about, you know, his son just like, you know, took took this little tiny thing from school. And, you know, the first thing I think about whenever I think of that, it's like how many how many parents out there? And actually he, he, he also recognized this was like how many parents would just let something like that slide and not dig deeper and ask him, did you have permission to bring that back? And And if you don't, if you don't lead that way in the little little things you know this over time will change and suddenly you have this klepto on your hands who's shoplifting who's stealing and didn't know from the very beginning that doing this little small little action it's 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 wrong it's wrong and and 
you know, as a parent, you need to say something about it. Can you imagine if a parent didn't say anything about it and then just allowed this kid to keep perpetuating this over and over again? And then one day you look back and like, well, why, how was this person able to do something like this? And, you know, so whenever I think of that guy, it's like, it maybe he just maybe didn't have that foundation, didn't have a noble father to guide this person to show him the example of fatherhood. Yeah. And even though odds are against you, statistics, statistics are against you. It, it, you can't overcome all those things. It all comes down for me. It all comes down to one thing. Why? What is your why? You know, the, there was a quote I heard. that said the two greatest moments in a person's life, the day they were born and the day they find out why. And when you find out why, it doesn't mean it's that's it and said and done. It's just, you know, you can have multiple whys for different reasons and different chapters and different seasons, you know, but you have to let that why be something that's bigger than your obstacles that are in front of you. And if you're able to do that, you know, for me, when I was growing up, I was making sure my brother didn't end up in the gangs and the drugs and the alcohol. You know, when I joined the military, is making sure that I was willing to to sacrifice my life to save someone else. But in order to do that, I had to be able to learn and train and, and be able to endure to be the person I needed to be that was equipped to go out there. And if I needed to, you know, do what I got to do and save a life. But, um, but yeah. When did you when did you find out your why? My brother would be my my first one, to be honest. That's where I found out I just I wanted to help people. Ultimately, the groundwork for everything was helping people. And, you know, going going into that kind of environment, um, you see you see a lot of things. You see a, a lot of injustice. You know, the first time I heard the cry for help, which would be just, the, you know, the, the one of many as I started getting older, is a guy being mugged, you know, and he's screaming for help. You know, he's, he's, he had, he was selling, uh, you get a lot of people that go around the neighborhood that sell stuff, you know, and he had a bunch of like blankets or whatever. And this guy came out to him and started robbing him. And he's like, help, help, help. And, you know, in the neighborhood, people just watch. It's none of your business. Don't get caught up in that, you know? Right. And that, that always echoed with me. And then of course that would lead into later on when I would start hearing help, help, help in the military over the radio because of the rules of engagement, we're not able to do anything. And then later on, when my daughter get cancer, you know, I would hear that help, 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 dad, and just keep echoing and echoing and echoing and echoing. And all of it's for a reason, though. There's a purpose behind it all. And for me, it's just like, are you going to are you going to answer that call to help? It may not be able to do it in that one scenario, like, you know, for when I was hearing help over the radio, rules of engagement, you're not able to. It is what it is. All you can do is just bang your your hand and just freaking, you know, grind your teeth. But when you find scenarios in which you're able to help in, and there's a lot of them out there, you may not be able to change what is going on in your life right now, but there is something out there that you can. And when you're able to take what you feel and apply it to that and do it in God, then you can change the world. And it may not be your world per se, but when you change someone else's world, you'd be surprised how it comes back. Yeah, and I know that forms a major part of your story is and and I, I do want to, you know, go there is 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 you you know, walk us through that um, you know, the daughter having cancer and you know walk us through that story. How did that how did that unfold for you and where were you at and all that stuff? Oh man. So I was on my last deployment in Iraq and uh came home. I was happy. I actually wanted to be um, 
a uh, chaplain for the military. So as soon as I got home, I started going to Liberty University. And uh, it was my last deployment. I had gone on like four deployments. And my last one, you know, and I did a variety of things from counter piracy operations to just going around Africa, um, saying hello to people in Europe, that kind of stuff. And then Iraq was my last one. Can I ask how long are deployments? So they vary. So um, in the Navy deployment, sometimes they can go from six months to nine months. Okay. And sometimes even longer, depending on what's going on around the world. And so I've been on ships where doing search and rescue in the helicopter. And then for Iraq, I was on the ground. I was just a ground guy, you know. Um, that and one how, went. How old were you? About roughly. Oh, this oh man. So that was back in. I left and came back in the beginning of 2011. So November of 2011. And so I'm 38 right Here now. So, yeah. So You're about 26. 12 years. Right? So about 26 years old. And uh, when I came back, you know, I was done with deployment. So they have this rotation, see a uh, shore rotation in the Navy. And so when you do a certain amount of years, then you can come on shore duty where you're not supposed to deploy for at least three years. And, and so that's to recoup or what's the context? Yeah. That? So it's pretty much just kind of giving you a bit of a rest. I see. And and so, you know, you did your deployment, your sea time, you know, now it's time to relax. And I had the best job deal. I was at a search and rescue school where I was an instructor. You repel out of helicopters. You go to the pool. You get off early. It was awesome. It was all set up good. And, uh, you know, we were living in uh, Menifee, California at the time. So I did have to commute back and forth to San Diego, but we had planned on moving to San Diego. But uh, as we were transitioning from Menifee to San Diego, my daughter ended up getting hit with a little bouncy ball for my son. You know, just like, uh, you know, kids are kids. But my daughter kept complaining about her stomach and, um, you know, it just wasn't going away. So my wife was like, hey, you know what? Let me uh, let me go get her seen by the doc just to make sure. Um, and, and so just, she did. Just so yeah, I, no. I, I'm sorry I'm going to interrupt because I don't want to get this. this no, no, you're, is, you're quite OK. Which which daughter is this? Is this oh, so this one? is my oldest one. So she's okay. seven years old. Yeah. And, and my son, he's still in diaper. He's he's a toddler. He's you know walking around and stuff. And um, and so I only have two children at this time. And so as she goes to the appointment for my daughter and I'm just cleaning up the house as we're moving down to San Diego. And I get a phone call, you know, you get those moments in life you never forget. And my wife just tells me, she's like, Hey, you know, um, you got to come down here. They found something. And so I go down there and, you know, we go through that whole process where they're like, we don't know what it is, but uh, the doc ended up doing an ultrasound and they found a big mass on her, on her uh, liver. And so we got referred to Rady's Children's Hospital, and that just started the whole journey of cancer, unfortunately. Um, you become part of a community you never wanted to be a part of, but it is one of those communities that is one of the strongest I've ever been a part of. You're dealing with life and death situations, and some kids make it, some kids don't. And going through chemo and surgeries for my daughter was very, very tough. And, um, you know, I don't I don't wish that upon anybody. I, if I had enemies, I don't have enemies. But if I had enemies, I definitely would not wish that upon them. Right. It uh, it changes you. Everything stops. Everything stops. And for me, you know, I, I was at a job where they were able to give me the time. I was no longer deploying. So they gave me all the time I needed. Um, they checked up on me. So my brothers were, were very I was very blessed to have that kind of community behind my back. And uh, unfortunately, when my daughter found out she had cancer, for me, I was just like, you know, I'm still fresh from Iraq. You know, I, I haven't even really dealt with my stuff. And 
I ended up uh, having to go to medical myself for a variety of reasons. And they eventually diagnosed me with PTSD and I had to go through mental health. So I wasn't too happy about that because I'm like, my daughter's in the hospital going through chemo and I'm being told I have to go to mental health. And then on top of that, I had a, a non-combat injury where it got too bad and I had to have surgery. And so I ended up having to be with the cane for a short period of time as well during this process. And I only knew one person that ever had cancer, bro. I didn't, you know, I've always seen the same Jew things and stuff like that, but I never knew anybody but one. And she was a, a very close uh, cousin of mine. She was like pretty much like a, like an aunt. And we try to call her up to try to get some, hey, you know, how'd you guys make it through this and that? Um, unfortunately, we didn't get anything back. When we finally did get something back, we found out she got uh, diagnosed with cancer again. And so it was very tough because she was, you know, she was a very close relative of mine. She helped raise me. And, you know, here I have my daughter who, who I'm raising who has cancer and um, going through PTSD and and then my wife ended up having unexpected surgery. So she was bedridden and all that happened within six months, all of that. And I'm just looking at my life at that point. And I'm like, you know, I'm with a cane. My wife is in the bed, in the bed. My daughter is, you know, hair starting to fall out. I have another relative who is it's not looking good with her cancer. And I'm just like, wow, like, you know, I did my time. I did my deployments. I, this was supposed to be the moment in which life is supposed to get better, you know, and I, and I'll never forget just, you know, praying to God and just asking him like, okay, like what, like, did I do something wrong? Did something happen where, you know, it's my fault, but going through that, you know, you, when you start to continue to focus on God, he'll start to reveal himself to you even more so. And, uh, you know, that's what he did. He helped me grow through it. He helped me get get through that that chapter, and I was able to get off the cane. My wife was able to get better and heal up. And um, you know, after that six months, um, that was that was the summer of 2012. And uh, going into the beginning of 2013, we're just like, okay, a new year, new beginning. Things are starting to look up again. Then we get that phone call that my relative didn't make it; she passed away. And then we get another phone call later on that my daughter. Because of how aggressive the chemo treatment is, it, it was Dr. Rubinson. Uh, she had to be admitted to the hospital as she got through this. And they have a portacath that they put into their chest and they have to stick a needle every time to administer the chemo. And this chemo treatment is so strong, so powerful that they have to wear hazmat suits as they administer it to the child. Yeah. Yes. If it were to land on your skin, it would burn you in a few hours if it wasn't cleaned up. This is what they're giving our children with cancer. And so it had another name for the treatment for the, for the chemo. It was called the devil's juice. And this is what they're giving to our children. The, the, the chemo treatment, long story short, in, in this avenue here, is not meant for children. It was meant for adults. Unfortunately, children are not considered a high priority when it comes to cancer. And so they're given very little funding and when it comes to like um, some of these cancer organizations, like American Cancer Society, I'll just throw it out there, man. You know, they they use the children. Oh yeah, you know, here are the children, your money's going to go to them. But it doesn't. They distribute it the way they see fit. Children are, that are going through cancer don't get enough. They don't. They have a lot more to lose. 
uh and you know sorry kind of veered off there but coming back when we found out my uh my relative died then we got that phone call about this that because of the chemo treatment being so powerful uh on my daughter she can only take so much of it before it starts affecting her cardiac and so she was gonna have to stop but because the cancer is such an aggressive cancer that if she were to stop taking the chemo her tumor would be aggressive and come back and eventually take her so they said the only option we had because of where the cancer was located um, on the liver would be a liver transplant. Now, the liver is a very unique organ. It's actually the only organ that can actually grow back. You can take a slice of it and it'll grow back. Wow. You can take I can take a slice of your liver if you matched up, of course, accordingly to a child and put it into that child and it would grow to that child's size. You mean that mm -hmm. chunk that you take out of me? Mm -hmm. Yes, it would wow. grow to that child's size as long as you guys were a match, of course. That's how beautiful and remarkable our God is, <laughs> right? Wow. And so that's what they were hoping. That's what they were hoping to do. Um, but unfortunately, because of where it was located on on one of the like the lobe areas, they couldn't do that. They said your daughter needs a brand new liver. And this, oh man, you want to talk about a, a test of faith? It just you know, they said the best chance for your daughter to survive is for her to get a child's liver. So how do you pray about that? In order for your child to live, somebody else's child has to die. Yeah. How do you pray about that, Theo? How do you go about presenting that to God? It just, it, it leaves you in, dis in despair. And that's what happened to me, hearing that from my um, my relative that passed away. And then that happened. And we were put on the donor list. And they're saying, yeah, you know, you're going to be called up. She's top priority. And then we find out somehow she was taken off the donor's list. And and now she's put back on and one month turns to two months and time's running out. And it's just like, we're going to end up having to go to St. Jude and, you know, is she going to be able to make it? And just all these different things within, you know, hasn't even been a year yet, Theo. <laughs> and, you know, I went into a dark place, you know, I was part of a, ended up being part of a cancer support group, um, but I was a volunteer. And this was my problem is I started going out there as a volunteer trying to help people. But I didn't open up to people until later. You know, people had no idea my daughter had cancer. I just talked to them about my other relative. And when I finally did start opening up, you know, that's when healing starts to really start. But when everything started happening, I, I didn't have a good ground in that. And I went to a dark place. I went to a dark place and I struggled. And for me, I went to drinking and, and just doing a lot of terrible things. And, uh, you know, you can leave God, but God will never leave you. And eventually I got to a point, I was on multiple medications for PTSD, depression, uh, all these different nerve pain, all these different types of things. And I finally reached a point where I was done with it. And my situation was still the same. My situation didn't change. God didn't take away the storm. I just opened up my heart to him completely and utterly because that's what he wanted. He said, are you done trying to carry this yourself? And dude, I was just like, I'm done. I got nothing left. And that's when he started carrying me. That's when I just dumped all the pills. I stopped drinking. And I was just like, Lord, I'm yours. And then uh, a short time later, we got the phone call. They found a liver. And my daughter got saved. Wow. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, I'd love, I'd love to hear that, you know, because... <laughs> It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. So we got, we got the phone call. I think it was like, uh, it was an NMA and, uh, 
They did tell us it was a child's liver, so somebody's child died. They passed away. And so we went in there, prepped for surgery, and, you know, we called up our relatives. It was down at Radies Children's Hospital in San Diego. And, um, you know, Actually, you're not they, at a... Do they search for this nationwide, or is it only a... Nation, 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 nationwide. It's nation. There's a, there's a registry that they go wow. through. Yeah. Um, and so you still have to go through the operation. They still, the body still has to accept it. You still have to survive it and all this different types of things. Um, and so they actually called in a specialist who, who this is his, like, this is his, his cream of the crop type of thing. He knows how to do this kind of stuff. And he was the one that performed the operation and, uh, he did a remarkable job. Not only did my daughter, you know, do phenomenal in the surgery, but she healed so fast that the doctors were amazed. She walked into that hospital and then like, you know, three or four days later, she walked out and the doctors couldn't believe how fast not only was her body accepting the liver, but uh, like how remarkable it was that she was able to talk and breathe so fast, taking off all the tubes and everything, you know. How old was she? Uh, at this point, uh, she was eight, eight years old. And so, you know, going going through that, you know, you, you, you know, my waiting in the waiting room for the surgery to be complete is, is very, very stressful. And for me, I just, you know, my wife, you know, was, was doing the best she could. And uh, once we got the word that, you know, that was done and it was good, you know, it's just like <sighs> sigh of relief, you know, go forward, go forward with life and live again. Right. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, that's what I wanted to do. Okay. My daughter's better. Thank you, Lord. You know, time to do go forward. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case because we would find out later on that a good cousin of mine would end up having uh, a miscarriage with her little one. And uh, yeah, they ended up losing a, they would end up uh, losing their child. And that was really gut wrenching for me. It, um, it really affected me really, really hard because, you know, it's that not being able to help out to do anything. And then I found out later on that summer, there was a little, there was another little girl who has survived cancer and um, she ended up having a relapse in her cancer. So I went to God about that and I was like, Lord, you know, what can I do? What can I do to help out this child? And for me, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, you know what? I'm going to end up donating to her charity, not her charity, donating to like a GoFundMe, maybe send a card or something like that. That wasn't the case. God, just like, I want you to carry a cross. So what do you mean by that? Literally carry a cross, a wooden cross. And yes. that's the, the picture. That's the picture. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll make that the, I think maybe make that the uh, cover photo for this entire podcast. Cause I think there's something special about that photo. And I, you're going to tell us about that right now. Yeah. And, and it's not, life is not like Hollywood. It's not one of those things where God's just leading you towards a direction. You're like, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. No, I, who who carries a cross? <laughs> I mean, this day and age, right? I mean, but every time I confronted God about it, and, and I was going through scripture, I was talking to my brothers at church, I was talking to my wife, everybody I told thought I was crazy. I thought it was crazy. But God was putting this in my heart. So I was like, okay, I don't even know anybody that can, that can build a cross. Like, do you know anybody that, that can build a cross? I didn't at that time. And I don't feel like I could ask, but... Yeah, like me, I didn't I didn't know, but but guess what? Guess what God does? God reveals. I just so happen to have a buddy of mine that's invited me to his house 
because he was he was fixing his own house up and he's like hey Ruben come over here let me show you this cross I built in front of my house wow yep all right well are you close with this buddy I mean did he just like random yeah he like was it? he he was one of my search and rescue uh, brothers I see yeah 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 awesome guy just oh man great guy wow and um uh, so guys like okay what else you got <laughs> so I'm like okay now one thing I left out is um, my daughter, my my wife is pregnant this time. So when when my wife, all of us were going through a tough time when my daughter was going through uh, through cancer, and so for me, I was just like, you know what? If it is a situation where they need a liver of some sort, you know, let's have a kid. And maybe, you know, who knows how long this battle can be? Maybe as as the kid gets older, it might be a match or something later on or something, you know? And it was just one of those moments where people are just like, no, you know, it's not a good time to have a kid. But I was just like, you know what? I feel like we're gonna, we need to have a child right now. And we did. And so my wife was pregnant, right? My wife is pregnant and um, she's still like a, a month away from her, her due date. And so that was my complaint to God. Well, Lord, my, my, my wife's pregnant. And then I would say my daughter, even though she's she's pretty much recovered, I was like, my daughter is still, you know, just a few months away from from being healed. And I, I'm in the military, Lord, <laughs> you know, like I got all this stuff. And but God's just like, no, it's just like, you know, I'm letting you know what I want you to do. You go forward in it and I will clear away type of thing. And so I was like, all right. So I talked to my wife. My wife thought I was crazy, but she's like, all right, fine, whatever. Do what you're going to do. If this is God. We prayed about it. And then I told the family because the, the little girl name was Jade. That was uh, she had a relapse in her leukemia. And um, and so I told her mom, I was just like, hey, so um, you, I'm Ruben. You, they, they know who I am. And I'm just like, hey, so I feel called by God to carry a cross for your daughter. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's like oh okay yeah yeah you can do that okay so i got your blessing yeah roger that all right look wow. lord everybody thinks i'm crazy but hey you know what <laughs> and then i tell my work and then you know I, I tell my buddy my search and rescue buddy and i was just like hey bro this is gonna sound crazy can you build me a cross and he laughs of course you know i'm, I'm used to it by now i'm just like okay you know and I'm like, no, I'm serious. He's like, you're serious? I was like, I'm serious. He's like, Ruben, if I build you this, if I build you this cross, you better carry it. <laughs> wow. So I'm like, yes, I will. And so, you know, as this starts, everything starts to come together, you start to realize that, hey, you know what? I don't know anybody that's ever carried a cross before. So I started doing research. And there's a guy out there that actually carried a cross, and he's carried a cross in every nation out there. Um, he, he's actually a, a phenomenal soul. He he's preached the gospel. Um, and let me see if I can look him up. Yeah. That'd be good to get his name. Yeah. He was just, oh my gosh, this guy. Wow. Harry. I think I've heard of, I've yeah, heard of he, he like that. He's been doing it for years, bro. He's been doing it for years. And this guy's just a phenomenal <laughs> person. Try to, to get this podcast Harry. to him because he's an inspiration. Wow. A cross. And he did it. He he dedicated himself to, to Christ in a level that I've never seen before. Wow. Here it is. His name is Arthur uh Owen Blissett. Arthur. Yeah, here I'll put it in the chat right here. Okay. 
this guy that's an amazing last name too yeah he <laughs> he went he went into nations that were anti-christian <laughs> wow. and he carried this cross so if you if you uh ever look him up there's a picture of him with his like his cross and he's like in, it has a, a pyramid in the background there but he ended up carrying the cross and he had a wheel on it and so for me i was just like okay well do i need a wheel so once the cross right. was made i tried carrying it and you'll find that if you try to carry a cross the the bottom of it will start to become yeah. worn out as that, thought, that, that, that was the thought that was in mm -hmm. my head i was like okay so then what is it just like slowly grinded down and right and so what happened is uh we ended up having to put a wheel at the end of it i mean this guy is the guy that we went off of and just kind of seeing you know there's not too many people out there that can say they carried a cross but this guy did it for years so Wow. True. A true hero for Christ. Uh, what I'll do uh, is I'll edit and I'll stick a, a clip in there. Yeah. Of him doing it. And then we, and then it'll just continue on our conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I looked him up, I, I did some research on him and found out I needed a wheel at the end of it. And then eventually it got to that point where, okay, what date are we going to set? And so September is cancer awareness month for children, childhood cancer awareness month, September. I'll go figure timing and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, this is August or July for you. This is August time frame. Yeah. Wow. And so um, and so we go forward and, and we plan the date and everything's set up. But I still have my doubts. I'm like, Lord, everybody thinks I'm crazy. I'm crazy. And, and, and mind you, I'm having a hard time. I have an injury, right? So I'm on and off with a cane. So I, I sometimes have issues walking and I'm going to carry this cross. And so I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't think I can carry this. Like I have a hard time. Sometimes I have to use a cane. Of course, you know, as you read scripture, you come to find out you're not the one carrying it. I am. You're not the one speaking. I am. You're not the one doing this. I am. Do you give credit to the pencil or do you give credit to the hand? You are my pencil. Be my pencil. Roger that. <laughs> wow. So I go into church uh, and it's a Sunday before the event. And so I'm like, all right, Lord. I, I'm doing a Gideon here. I need a sign. I'm like, Lord, just yeah. give me some kind of sign. All right. Just like, you know, the, the whole do thing and all that yeah, stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, actually give that context because I'm sure there's going to be people who don't understand that story and, and you're a great person to illustrate it. Yeah. So uh, Gideon uh, was during a time period when Israel was being uh, pretty much being pushed down in society. Right. I think it was the Amorites. And uh, they were just the lowest of the low of the tribe of Israel. And it was so bad because every time they would form crops in the fields, they would just get destroyed by their enemies. And so he was like mashing wheat in a hidden spot, uh, you know, away from every anybody that can see. And so what happens? God sends an angel, you know, tells Gideon, you know, mighty man of valor. And then Gideon, who just, you know, is trying to hide, it's like, are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm that man, you know? And, and so Gideon goes through this process where he does, you know, start to converse and he's just like, Hey, you know, well, you know, if this is the case, if this is what you want me to do, you want me to lead a revolt to go against our enemies of Israel, you know, can you end up making uh, a do show on this? Um, what was it called? Oh my gosh. It was like yeah, a cloth like a of some sort. That, yeah, it was like lambskin or yeah, like lambskin. Wool. Yeah, wool. Like yeah, like wool of some sort. And it's just like, okay, make the dew just form underneath it and not anywhere else. And then the next day he shows it, it's like that. Okay, he's just like, okay, make sure there's no dew underneath it this time, and then make sure it's everywhere else. And then you know, he checks it and it's good to go. 
And so he's just like, all right, Essentially, well, he tested God. Yeah. For those, yeah, he, he, he was testing God to make sure that, you know, the word that he got was true. Um, you know, whatever you want to think about it, there's verses in the Bible that says, don't, don't test the Lord, your God. Like it was just a crazy thing for Gideon to do that. And, and God actually showed him all, everything he asked for. Yeah, and Gideon was a, a man who was not looking at himself as a man of valor or a soldier that was going to go out there and serve God. Right. But that's what God does. He takes people that are ordinary and he makes them extraordinary mm-hmm. when they're able to rely on him. Right. The saying and, is like he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Bam, there. And so I ended up going into church and it's it's a rock church down in San Diego. Uh, Pastor rock, Miles McPherson, a rock church. What was the it? rock church? Oh, the rock church. Okay. Yeah, and so the rock church. Um, by uh, Pastor Miles McPherson, awesome, awesome guy, great story. And so they have a big, giant auditorium. It's one of those big churches. And so as we go in, as I go in and I sit down, it's it's always dark. And then they play the music and you praise and worship, and and then it opens up and it's just like a regular auditorium. And so I'm like, Lord, you know, before the lights come on, I'm like, Lord, I need a sign of some sort. And so as the lights come on, I kid you not, the other was crosses, wooden crosses like the one my buddy built all around the sanctuary. This is a place that does not have crosses, okay? It's just a big, giant auditorium, but there was wooden crosses. Then it just so happened to be on that service that they wanted you to put on the cross. And so I'm like, if God can put a sticky note all over your fridge saying, this is what I want you to do, that's what he did to me. He was just like, hey, wow. this is this is what I want you to do. And and so I was like, all right, I'm going to go forward with this. Day came, got the cross, <clears throat> got the cross and uh, said goodbye to my wife who was pregnant and, you know, my family and started off in North Park, San Diego. That's where I was living at the time and started walking. The destination was Loma Linda, San Bernardino from okay. San Diego. All right. You said North Point is where you started. North Park. North Park. Okay. Yeah. So North and Park. And then where was the end part? So North San Park, Bernardino. San Diego to San Bernardino. Oh, San Bernardino. Yeah, I've been Loma, there. Loma Linda. Yeah, no, no, Loma Linda has the uh, that very famous university, right? Uh, yeah, they have they have a uh, university that's pretty yeah, the good up there. Program there, yeah. So so driving, so driving, it's about an hour and fifty two minutes. It's about one hundred and four miles. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, you can click the walking thing too <laughs> to see how far it is if you walk. Yeah, yeah. If you end up walking, it, yeah, I can tell you how how long it'll take you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, with the cross, it's definitely different. Is there a button you can press that shows the person walking with the cross? <laughs> yeah, it it, <clears throat> it took. Uh, oh, let me see if I remember this correct. I think it took about eleven days. Um, it was about one hundred and fifteen miles, and uh, oh my gosh, Theo, when when I first started embarking on this journey. And I ended up going that first mile and I was done. Like my side was hurting. I was just like, I was, I was tired and I'm like, all right, Lord, I can't carry this no more. But when you listen to God, when you go through with what he tells you to, that's when he starts to carry you. And that's exactly what he did. I went one mile. He carried me the rest of the the rest of the miles, 114 miles after that. And the journey that that took me on, the people that I encountered, the stories that I heard, the, the, just the, I don't know what to say. It's like a Forrest Gump moment 
where you go through and people ask you, what are you doing this for? And so for context for this, we were spreading the gospel, trying to get prayers for this little girl that was going through leukemia and she needed a bone marrow transplant. And so we had these little pamphlets that were passing out where people can register on the bone marrow registration. You can also donate blood because children that are going through cancer need blood transfusions. Right. And then she had a donation page. So, you know, there was a donation page if you want to donate. And, uh, and so that's what we did. And I had an awesome support team, my family and friends and started going through. And if you ever try to, to walk this path of going through rough terrains and mountains and all this kind of stuff, you run into a variety of people. Some people will curse you. Some people will greet you. Some people will come up. I've had a, a few veterans come up to me crying and just like, you know, they wanted to put it on the cross. But sometimes you need just one Christian, one brother or sister in Christ to present them the cross. Mm-hmm. And so as they came, I would tell them, here's a marker. Write whatever you want on the cross. Write a name. You know, we had our cause. This is what we're doing. But whatever it is that you want to put on this cross, write it down. For that, for one veteran, he wrote down his buddies who died. Another family, they had lost a relative. And I was passing a cemetery and they they saw me with the cross and it gave them comfort. Because it was for them, it was a sign that their their father was in a good place. And they wrote his name on the cross. I had another family where a brother took over because his 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 brother ended up passing away. So he took his kids in and we prayed. We all prayed together. And they wrote down their brother's name on the cross. Children who had passed from cancer put on the cross. People of just variety of background just coming to the cross, praying and just... Letting the world know they're not alone. There's a there's a lot of hurting people out there, and when you present the cross, and this in this sense is literal, you'd be surprised how many of them will come to it, how many of them need it. I even had a guy that was on his way to go put himself in front of a train track. He was done with life, and he rolled up to me and he's just like, "Can I carry the cross?" And I was like, "What's going on?" He's just like, well, I'll be honest with you. Like right now, he's, you know, he's got tears. And he's just like, I just want to go in front of a train track right now. I'm on my way. I was like, let's talk. Let's pray. And we did. And he didn't go into that train track. And it's one of those situations where you don't realize what people are going through or how much of an impact you can have until you put yourself out there the way God wants you to. So many people we impacted because we did something we allow God to do something extraordinary through us. And we probably will never know the full magnitude of that journey on how many people it impacted. And I made a lot of good friends, a lot of good friends. And I even let, um, there was a father, he lost his son in a car accident. And his name is Larry. He would come with me on a few other crosswalks that I would do as the years go on. And he carried a very heavy cross to the loss of his son. And he came back and joined me and he asked me, Hey, can I carry it? And for the most part, I was carrying it. Um, but I felt called by God to let him have it that time. Mm-hmm. And he's an older gentleman. He's not a young buck at all. He's a very old, he's an older guy. Right. And so I was like, all right, you know what? Well, here you go, my friend. And he took off with that thing. 
whatever he had inside of his heart, he was letting it out to God. And it was so beautiful because we were going up a hill, bro. We're going up a hill. This is an escondido. (laughs) Okay. And the sun is just getting ready to set. And he's already in the distance in front of me. And I can just see him just giving it to God. Just giving it to God. So, and there's, there's so much more to carry their cross. So many stories, so many different things that God worked through us. Cause we did it for three years. We did it for three years. We did it every September. And, um, you know, I was just so blessed to be a part of that journey where you don't realize how much God can do through you because you're so focused on yourself and what your limitations are. But when you're able to humble yourself to God and his spirit, he can make the world turn in ways that you can never, can't even imagine. And that's all I got to say about that. And that idea has to originate from God, because if we try to do it out of our own desire, you would have been done that first mile. Yeah, I would have been done. And when I finally made it for that first uh, carry their cross, there was a, I actually had an escort. (laughs) They had called the police and the police escorted me to the hospital. And uh, there was this biker club, uh, the Black Sheeps uh, Christian biker club that escorted me in. I didn't expect this, but there was a big crowd. Wow. There's a big crowd. I can uh, say the, there's a link. I think, I don't know if it's still there. Let me sit down. Bernardino. Yeah. I made the newspaper and articles and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, this uh, is not the intent, but still like, to get, yeah, no, this, get yeah. That, like to, to get that, like, you know, how can anybody do that and not have that happen? Yeah. So there, there's a link. Believe. There's a link right there. Wow, um, and I'll 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 throw that into yeah. the, the 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 thing as well. Wow, that is, but I, and it's... actually, I, I wanted to get more context. Actually, is is you know, as because I'm picturing it. Obviously, you have a better picture than I do because you actually walked it. Is is like, we're not talking like reality TV. <laughs> like, and when you say eleven days, it took you eleven days. I'm picturing you day and night walking the full eleven. Yeah, it was pretty much you know you wake up, you go back to the spot that you ended, and then you carry it on. Oh, I see. Okay. So it 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 was it wasn't like you're going through the night. We did, <clears throat> we did go into like uh sometimes late in the nighttime. I see. But it but it wasn't like all the way through. There was only one crosswalk, and that was um, that was the third crosswalk, the last crosswalk I did, and that's the cross that you see in the image. And that one, I had one event where I felt God called by God to do it for 24, 24 hours. Wow. And that was that was rough and just 24 hours carrying that cross forward. Um, but no, yeah, still, you know, safety, rest, yeah, go right. back, safety, all that kind of stuff. Right. There's and, no possible uh, way to do 11 days straight like that eating. No, no, eating no. Like Nutrigrain <clears throat> bars or whatever protein bars. You know? There was definitely a lot of Nutrigrain bars. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> wow. Definitely a lot of Nutrigrain bars. Wow. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask something else. Is it always so, you know, is that cross you use the same cross every single all three years or? So after I ended up, uh, we made it to the hospital. Jade was being treated there. She came out, huge celebration. Um, and oh, so how, like, so how did that happen? Like, was there somebody that you guys put down on that registry and they they found a found bone marrow that could be used? Or so the way it goes is when you end up going on the registry, it's all like between the organizations. But the people that uh, need it and the people that give it don't don't meet in the beginning. They can later on if it's coordinated uh, accordingly. Um, 
So, but we were just trying to get people on the registry so they can see if they're a match or not. And so when we finally made it there, um, you know, she was still going through a treatment and stuff like that. And, you know, it was a celebration and I didn't intend on it to be a celebration. I just wanted to do something that God called me to do. And um, it was, I got the exact dates here, September 24th to October 6th. And um, I think I did 130 miles for this one. And we raised about $1,800 on their webpage. So, um, yeah, I'm reading the, the article. Journey, 24th to the 6th, you said. Or 26th, did you say October? That was the 24th, uh, September 24th to October 6th. October 6th, wow. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I ended up carrying a little stuffed animal. Here's a, I don't know, it's up to you if you want to include this or not. There's a comical moment, right? So I get there, there's a big crowd, everybody's cheering. Um, and then we're waiting for Jay to come down. You know, she has to wear a mask because she's going through chemo and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, you know, here comes this this girl in a wheelchair. And, and you know, I get down on my knees and I start breaking down. And I'm just like, you know, I had this little toy I was I carried for her. And yeah. here you go. Um, you know, and then the nurse tells me, oh, this is not Jay. This is just a patient that wanted to see you. Because <laughs> they have their mask on and they have like hoodies. So it's yeah, hard yeah, to yeah. tell, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm just like, you know what? It's okay. Hey, you know, this is yours. You keep this. This is... God doesn't make mistakes, right? right? And so Jay finally comes out and then, you know, greet her um, and then go up there. They give me uh, one of her shirts. They thank me. And, you know, it, it's it's a lot harder connecting the dots looking forward. It's a lot easier connecting the dots looking back. Nobody thought it was going to turn into this kind of event. I didn't know it was going to turn this, into this kind of event, mm-hmm. but it did. God knew. Wow. And so after that, I gave him the cross. I was like, here's a cross. This is, you know, has all sing- signatures and, and writings from people's hearts pouring out. Here you go. It's yours. And so they kept it. And so I was just like, okay, you know, eventually we found out she ended up getting a bone marrow transplant and she's alive to this day. So she's an adult now and she's doing better. So she's flourishing in life. And uh, so September is done. I go back to my, my regular life and I'm getting hit up by all these people, news medias, all this kind of stuff. I am not that type of person. I'd even want to let people know who I was, to be honest with you. I just wanted them to know who God was. Mm-hmm. But my wife used to, she, she used to do marketing and she's just like, people want to know who you are so they can connect with you. And I'm just like, I don't want people to connect with me. You know, I came back from Iraq. I was a very enclosed person, you know? <laughs> right. And, um, but, but my wife's just like, if you want your cause to be successful, you have to let them know who you are. And then, you know, I was a very prideful person at the time. So I was like, okay, fine. They can know who I am. I'm Ruben. Hello. <laughs> right. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, but it's true. They they got to know who you are. And so as soon as the event was over, they wanted me to give speeches and all this stuff. But I cut it out. I was like, no, I did my event. I, you know, God wanted me to do this and, and I'm done. And I just shut it all off. And the momentum that was built up on that, I was, I truly believe I was supposed to carry that. I should have carried that because there was so much stuff we could have done with that. Yeah. If I, if I had just continued to trust in God, because after that I still followed God, but I was like, okay, that's behind me moving forward. All right. Mm. And, um, but that, that wasn't it. That wasn't done. So eventually September was coming around again and I ended up 
feeling God guided by God to do another crosswalk and did it for another two years. Wow. And then after that, you know, that was it. But I, when it came to marketing, when it comes to marketing, momentum is everything. Once you get that momentum going, you have to sustain it. If you truly want your cause to be successful. And for me, I never did. I didn't care about it. I got the momentum. I, my objective was complete as far as that cause that uh, situation. And then I just shut it down. Mm-hmm. And now I look back on it. I'm just like, I should have kept it going because <laughs> mm-hmm. I could have helped so much more, so many more people, but at the same token, you know, God has his reasons for the seasons. Right. And, uh, you know, I went from carrying the cross. This is our organization right here. Carry their I was going to say that shirt is perfect for what you're looking to yeah. do. Actually, can you stand up and maybe show me the full yeah. extent of the shirt? Just so everybody sees what they're looking at. Carry their cross childhood cancer awareness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that's a, such a fitting shirt. I don't know if you can see this here. Will you help me carry the cross? Wow. And there's a picture of a cross and a, a ribbon. I guess it's a cancer ribbon around the cross. I was just detailing what it was trying to give my, uh, what is it? Closed captions of what I saw there on your shirt. Oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> no, it's okay. But, but, but yeah, so this, um, this was a shirt designed by a, uh, uh, family friend of ours and they gave us the shirt for free. Wow. And so when people would donate and stuff like that, we passed out shirts to them and stuff like that. And, um, you know, this is carry their cross. We have a Facebook page and, um, just different types of things we had done uh, during that period of time. And then I went into to Spider-Man. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I, but that, I want to, I want to cross that bridge in a little bit here. Uh, yeah. Just let me take these notes here. Cause uh, this is important. I mean, we're, we're in September as well. This is, yeah. this is interesting that we're having this conversation now. And I mean, I literally had the idea only like a few days ago that we were going to jump on a conversation. Um, yeah, there was there's some stuff I wanted to ask about um about that whole ordeal before you even go into the 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 Spider-Man stuff. Um so you know for your daughter, do you know whose liver it was? Yeah. Yeah, so that one's oh man. So when it comes to receiving a um a transplant, you know, there is a point in which one person can connect with the other, but the organization is the middle person. So they, they because of HIPAA, you, they, you're not going to be given their information. And so we got a, a card from the uh, organization saying like, hey, here's a card from the mother. She would like to connect. Of the daughter that passed away that donated the liver. And, you know, when we got it, you know, it's very emotional, you know, very emotional time for us. And so, and it was like a year, I think like a year later. And so my wife's just like, we prayed about it and we, we decided to go ahead and meet. We decided to meet and oh my gosh, like they, they live, um, we were in Menifee at that time or no, we were in San Diego. And so we ended up going up to where they lived. There was about two and a half hours up North. And so they were in the California area. And when we showed up, it it was, um, I think it was the anniversary. It had been one year, and I think it was the anniversary of her passing. She had passed away on uh, May 31st um, or May 30th. Let me see there and make sure on this one. I might be able to bring up 
I'll send you a link as well if you want to take a look. Her name is Suni. And how do you spell that? Uh, I'll get it for you right now. Let's see here. Wow. I'm sure. I'm sure. Glad we circled back to 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 that question. I for whatever reason I felt like. That yeah, was... that that one's is actually a really important one. Um, that's the part that uh, that really breaks my heart, man. Yeah, that's the one that I can say that's a heavy cross to carry. Oh, absolutely. Just and I and I've gone through and I've gone through the uh you know when I was in school there was a particular class we talked about ethics and morals and and um you know, the conversation of like, you know, somebody who's going to pass their, 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 their death is imminent. And, you know, they have all these healthy organs. What do you do in that situation of, you know, the, the, an ethical dilemma, right? Of what do you do with that? And, 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 you know, there's a time situation and do you end this person's life early, take the harvest the organs and give it to these people who are going to survive with it or going to live on with it. And, um, those aren't easy those aren't easy questions no they're they're really not and that's the part i think uh nobody ever wants to be in those situations you can't even imagine those situations but when they do it's you know it changes your whole life absolutely changes your whole life and how are you doing are you good on time by the way i don't want to i am great on time i okay I, i've you know being able to make my own time is you know i dedicate as much as i need to to do in it, it my wife always asks me, she's like, do you have anything to do on this day? And my answer is always, I always have something to do. <laughs> like I have a, I have a revolving list of things and it just keeps getting added to it. And, you know, and it comes down to, yeah, as an entrepreneur, you just have to prioritize and, and make the decision of what is, what is taking the priority. So, um, man, this conversation has been amazing. I just, I'm trying to think back to the entire thing and there's been so much that's been shared and there's you've you've walked so much and you've the cross that you've carried is 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 a is a heavy one and yeah it's wow it's crazy sometimes when i talk to people about these things they don't uh some of them don't believe it i don't believe it sometimes you know right because it's um you don't expect to go through the pains that you go through yeah but when you go through these pains, you look, you look for comfort, like in the, in the sense of like people being there for you and being at home and doing, you know, trying to, trying to marinate on it. Mm -hmm. But when God calls you and he's just like, Hey, you know, I didn't tell you to stop. I didn't say, no, just don't go forward anymore. It's like, I need you to go forward. I need you to keep moving. I need you to keep, keep doing what's needed. I mean, and you look at, look at Jesus, right? So after he was born, it was a glorious time. Awesome. The the savior. But what did he guide, you know, his parents to do? Go to Egypt. He had them move. Keep moving. And that's the same thing we have to keep doing in life and our faith. Right. Just got to keep moving. It's a military do, do, do. thing too, isn't it? When I tell you to jump, you say how high. <laughs> Don't tell me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, and I tell you to do push-ups, you keep going until I tell you to stop, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Then I want to No, I get that. It's kids, kids, and and you, hey, like, man, like this is not a priority. Like you're you're a family man. You gotta take care of your kids and they will come up and 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 they they'll they'll need attention from dad. And if ever that happens, you know, it doesn't matter. You could you know, 
I want that included in the podcast, if anything. So yeah, I got you, man. Yeah, family life. Um, but yeah, uh, her name is Suni, uh, S-U-N-E-E, and um oh, S-U-N-E-E. You said S-U-N-N-I. Yeah, that was just S-U-N-E-E. Okay. Yeah, S-U-N-E-E. That's my fault. And uh it was May 30th. Um, May 30th when she passed away, and then that night, um, actually on May 31st is when we got the phone call. And uh, you know, when we got the phone call, we had been waiting for it for months and it was finally happening and you know we went in we went through our process but you know how that story went as i talked about she did well and then we were contacted and we we coordinated uh for the following year it was supposed to be like on her on her anniversary and so you know we met with the family and uh it was it was it was incredible but heartbreaking because we wanted to make sure to let them know like hey your daughter saved our life our our daughter's life and so she told us her her part of the story she hugged my daughter uh the mom was really the one that was embracing us she was like everyone else was kind of so and so cuz like like how do you yeah how do you deal with a situation like that where your family got the miracle my family didn't god chose your daughter not my daughter and that was actually brought up with one of the family members or just like, you know, they, they asked us, some of them were asking, us, you know, what made you guys come? And I guess they didn't know that the mom had contacted us. We're like, well, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, uh, celebrate with others and also mourn with others. And, you know, we, we got our miracle and then we just want to be here with you guys. We we're contacted by the mom. And, and so the biggest the heartbreaking response from one of the family members is just like, you know, you got your miracles, but where's ours? And that was just like, uh, it was very, you know what I mean? It, it was, I wish, I wish the mom had told them <laughs> like they knew we were coming, but I don't think they realized that the mom had contacted us to come. Right. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, and or so in that moment it would have spoken up and said, no, I invited these people. Like, please don't treat them like they're here to rub it in our face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they didn't, they were still like, they were still respectful, still nice, but you can see it was, it was a very yeah. trying time for them. You know, it had been like a year. Um, so they were coping with their feelings and stuff like that. And me and my wife, my family, we had prayed, we had prayed, you know, we were going in there we're expecting it. Yeah, We were expecting, you know, like, Hey, this is the, this is the type of stuff that can happen. Yeah. And, and so as she shows us pictures of her and we look down and Theo, my gosh, this little girl looked like my daughter. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, I'll send you a picture later on. Yeah, please do. But, um, bro, I was so shocked and I, and then, then me and my wife realized why she was crying so much. And uh, when she hugged my daughter, and I mean, it was emotional to begin with, but even more so. And then she told us her side of the story. She told us what happened that night. They th- she told us what happened with her daughter. And Suni was just her average little girl. And something happened where she had like a brain aneurysm. And she went down. They don't know what happened. It's just, you know, before you know it, she was doing, they were doing their day-to-day thing. That happened. She was in the hospital. Doctors are like, hey, your daughter's brain dead. There's nothing we can do. But you can uh, donate. You know, you can help save other lives. Now, this was a traditional Mexican family. And when it comes to a traditional Mexican family, um, the man is the man. 
of the house. And she told us that when the doctors came to her and her husband and told them, and then the doctors walked out, gave them some time. She told us that, uh, that the husband was like, no, we're not going to do this. This is my little girl. We're not, we're not going to donate any of her organs. I don't blame them one bit. I mean, she's on a ventilator. They're getting ready to pull the plug on their little girl. It's just like, you know, last thing you want to think about is, is her being cut up and, and put into other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she went to go tell the docs. So she told us as she was walking to go tell the docs, she felt something. She felt like God. And so when she went to the docs, she told them, like, we're going to do it. Now, to go against your husband like that in a Mexican family, that's a big deal, especially in, right. in a trying time like that. And so, you know, she ended up going back and uh, talking to her husband and the husband knew already. Like, I guess he, I don't know if he felt it as well, but he knew it. Right. And they, this, this was the way. And um, so they, they pulled the plug on her on May 30th. Yeah. So she passed away. And on May 31st, my daughter was given a second chance. So, sorry. No, you're you're good, man. I got I got my feels too, brother. You're not alone. You're not alone, man. It's uh, I I couldn't I I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that's like, and you know I've only seen my my grandmother, and my grandfather pass away, um. Like, take their last breaths. You know, not 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 pulling yeah. the plug or anything. Um. And um, wow. Yeah, that's um, that's one of the hardest crosses to carry, my friend. That's one of those ones where I. You want to do the family justice. You want to make sure that there was a 
bigger purpose behind it all. I think, uh, you know, for me, no matter what I do, no matter how many charity events or how many miles I go, how many crosses I carry, You know, you can't bring back their little girl. You want to do more. You want to to make sure that you're doing right by them. But, you know, for me, at this point in my life, I just... I haven't done enough. And that used to be that used to be my thing whenever I do these events. It's not enough. It's not enough. So much more we can do. Very tough cross carry. Yeah. But God help me. To remember that ultimately I'm not the one carrying it. He's carrying it. I'm just a pencil. I'm just a pencil. He's the hand. Even though we're all called to carry our crosses, you know, he's ultimately carrying us. And praying on that for years. And when it finally did sink in, I was finally able to find find a peace about it. Not the peace to stop going forward and doing what I'm doing, but a peace to know that that God has his his journey set for a reason. That the pain will not go to waste. Just keep following him. Keep letting his spirit guide your steps. And he will show you. He will show you the way. So... But yeah, that's probably the <clears throat> that's the hardest one. Yeah. One of the hardest ones in this whole journey. Here's the ones you can't say the cries for help that you're not able to answer. And I used to I used to get fixated on that. I used to get stuck on it. And it it, it nearly drove me insane. Anybody that's ever dealt with people that are in circumstances where a relative is dying or, you know, especially a child, you know, and you, you feel helpless. You want to do as much as you can. And then if it happens and the child passes away, it's a, you know, it's, it's very tough. And then you go to the next case and the next cause and it just starts to pile up. But it's very important that you give it to God. It's not ours to carry. It's for God's to carry. Still process it. Go through the tears. Go through the counseling sessions. Go to your brother's. So they can help you through it. Noble Father. Organizations like this. It's so imperative for men. Because in the society. It, it, you know. There's a there's an image where. For some reason. They depict us as somebody that needs to carry it all by ourselves. And still smile and be okay. But no. 
not the case. We're human, just like everyone else. I think we just have a better way of hiding it. But deep down inside, we all have that cry for help as well. And if you ignore it too long, eventually you're not able to help anybody. So I think it's imperative for fathers to not carry these loads alone, to get involved in, in, in these groups with men. So you don't reach that point where you have nothing left for your family. And then you crash. And that's what happened to me. I crashed. I was doing all these charity events. I went back down a dark path because the God that I was serving, I changed it to the charities. My idol was charities at that point, trying to help the next child, trying to do another hospital visit, a Spider-Man, all these different types of things that it nearly, I nearly lost it all. I was fueled by pain and no longer by God. And, you know, so many times in the Bible, you see that, <clears throat> you know, so many times in the Bible, you see how people start off strong. And they were strong because they were in God. But they veered off and started doing their own thing. Okay. And what does Paul tell us? I mean, Paul tells us, you know, finish the race strong. There's a crown at the end of it. And it's not for glory. It's not to make yourself seem big. It's to bring glory to him and what he's done for us. And to share that with the world that needs it. Yeah. And I did want to encourage you, you know, in the, in the moment as you were sharing, and I wanted to give you the complete space, but, you know, it, it, it is enough. Yeah. You know, you are, you are a pencil. There is no infinite pencil, right? God's hand is infinite. And so if we are faithful and we give ourselves wholeheartedly to God and his hand as the pencil and God uses it, God uses us to draw this beautiful masterpiece, that is enough. And and God is, God's will is done and you know, it's interesting because, you know, as you were speaking, I, I thought of, I don't know if you've watched the Schindler's Schindler's List. Oh, yeah. That was that one scene, of my inspirations. <laughs> that scene at the end where he's, you know, holding that pin and he's like, I can save, I could have saved 40 more people yeah. with this pin. Like, what is this pin? He says, 40 more people. And, and you know, I, I, I and I'm speaking from my own thing here too of like, Yes, I work and I I I, I toil and I, I I and God has called me to speak in the life of fathers through noble father. I know that I'm finite. I know that I am. I have a capacity as well. Is that I can't. It's never going to be enough. It's it's so easy for me to say that about my work. Is that it's never going to be enough, and and that I I, I feel like I'm not making a dent. Um, but every time I get to that thought, I, I, I go to God and I say, Lord, like, I, I hope your will is being done here. Like I please fulfill something. I, I pray that this little thing that I'm offering, all I can offer you is this heart, this broken heart and, and, and my, my imperfection and my, you, you know, everything that I am that, that I, I pray that it's enough for your, your will to be done. And, um, 
and, and what's beautiful about this whole work is, you know, the encouragement that I've given, and I want to give this encouragement to you is that, yes, you took that cross and you were walking it for Jade and you were carrying it for, for God because he asked you to carry it. All the byproducts, all the people who came and had their life touched by just that simple obedience and faithfulness that you gave in carrying that cross. These people are out in the world today. Who knows what they're doing and the seeds that they're planting and the people that they are touching through your action alone. And so is it enough? Like, What is, what is enough? And so when I think about even Noble Father, sometimes when I was in China, all I could do was post the podcast and show up on the Thursday calls. Uh, one of the things that really helped me was understanding that in being able to allow a space for Ruben to share about himself through the week, it is enabling him to go back into the world, into his world, and to be more present in that. And and a lot of a lot of that, even if it was just ten guys that came out, that's ten guys that are now more present in their in their in their walk. And that's not to brag about me. That's to brag about God. Is that He orchestrated this whole thing for you to carry your cross. This is my cross, and that is enough. That is enough. Um, it, it, we can't we can't weigh ourselves down with what could have been, what should have been. I think if we, in the moment, say that we've given our best, that is enough. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> Very well said. That's a. Th there's a lot of, man. Um, yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to circle back to something else, and I, I don't know if that's a a great place to go. I did want to hear about you know your your Spider Man stuff because that is that is something that, and I grew up wanting to be Batman, and so you know to see another brother uh, who is striving to be like a, a superhero. Uh, you know, first maybe tell me why Spider Man. Why? What was it about Spider Man's story that made you feel like you resonated with him so well? So. You know, after my daughter got better and the whole carry their cross thing, um, I still suffer from PTSD. PTSD doesn't go away. And so I needed something else. <clears throat> I guess you can say I wanted to recreate the spark that I felt during that crosswalk. But because that crosswalk is very enduring and takes up a lot of time and a lot of supplies, um, you know, obviously I can't do that year round. So I thought about the times I was in the hospital with my daughter. And what would have been awesome to see while being in there? You know, the hospital sucks to begin with. Nobody wants to be in there. The staffs are amazing for the most part. You know, they try to make the best of a bad situation. And so I was like, you know what? Uh, a superhero. A superhero would be awesome to see, right? So I'm like, you know what? Let me look at some superheroes. So I'm like, you know what? I'm too brown to be Superman. <laughs> well, I <laughs> you know, I started looking at these different types, you know, Green Lantern, <clears throat> like maybe a power ranger but then it dawned on me bro i was like i have a hard time going to the hospital i have ptsd from the hospital as soon as i walk in there i get flashbacks of my daughter being carried when she was you know going through chemo it's very it's very very hard you know i'm like i want to do this you know and i prayed about it but i'm like i'm gonna end up crying in front of these kids <laughs> so <clears throat> you know i prayed about it to god and and it's just like, if I can cover my face. So I looked at superheroes that can cover their face and Spider-Man came up. And the reason why I chose Spider-Man is to hide my tears.
it, you know, it is a sign of strength, you know, to, to show those emotions. It's definitely not, uh, I definitely don't think that, you know, it's any show of strength to, to hide behind a mask, but you know, I, I, I also resonate with that of, of like, you know, for me, Batman was a big, big deal, you know, and, and, and try to keep things in the dark and secrecy and, you know, not, not go to talk about it. And, um, Yeah. And so I got the costume, which anybody out there that gets uh, costumes, they are very expensive. If you want to get the authentic ones, yeah. my wife was my wife wasn't too happy, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to get something that was going to, you know, <clears throat> yeah. serve its purpose. You know, I didn't want to get all the, the filled in muscle ones. You know, I want to be authentic as real as can be. Right. I wanted to do the kids justice because my own child was in that hospital. And so I got it. Um, uh, being in the military, we went to Radies and we went to Naval Medical Center, San Diego. And so I tried to put myself in both of those. Radies was a little bit more strict. Um, it's just like a Naval- hospital? Radies is just... Yeah, so Radies is, is a children's hospital down in San Diego. And the Naval Medical Center, San Diego, is the Naval Hospital in San Diego. So one's a civilian, the other one's a military. <clears throat> And so with the military hospitals, they only help out those that are in the military or used to be in the military, veterans. And so we bounce from back and forth to those for my daughter's treatment. And so the Armed Services YMCA, which is an awesome organization that helps out uh, service members and their families with a variety of things from food to entertainment to just really awesome organization. And so I got in touch with the coordinator and I let her know what I wanted to do. And she's just like, okay. Yeah, definitely. The kids would love that. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, just let me know. And then I get a phone call uh, sometime later where I think this is like 20, uh, what a man, 20, the end of 2013, I think, maybe the beginning of 2014. And she's just like, hey, you know, we have a little girl. Um, She's about seven years old. She, I think it would be awesome if you came in your Spider-Man costume. Um, she's doing a Make-A-Wish. So, you know, she she wanted to be a nurse. So they ended up doing this phenomenal thing where they made her a military nurse for the day, which is just so remarkable, right? And so they're just like, yeah, if you can come in and, and say hello, I think it would help her out. So I'm like, yeah, definitely. You know, what day, what time and all that stuff. And so... It was just like, okay, yeah, I got you. So my heart is pounding. Like my first gig, right? My first, first, yeah, yeah. yeah, my very first one. Don't mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I get the the location of the building at the Naval Medical Center, you know, and I I find a place to change and I don my costume. And nothing could have prepared me for that moment, man. Dang. She was going through cancer and she looked just like my daughter when she was going through cancer. The same age too, almost, right? Yeah. And so as soon as I saw her, dude, I was crying. And I was like, thank you, Lord, for the mask. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And, uh, you know, I go in there and there's a bunch of military people and they're at the end of their, she took a tour as a nurse and they're at the end of it. And um, 
And so I have kids. I love kids. Yeah. And so I just go into my my kid mode. Hey, you know, this Spider-Man, nice to meet you. What's your name? And, you know, she's she's frail. She's in a wheelchair. Um, but and then she perked up. She smiled. And I just, you know, I, I had a military patch, a uh, search and rescue patch. I didn't know what to, you know, my first gig, I was like, I'll give her a military patch. <laughs> so I gave her the military patch and I, I told her how strong she was. I was like, you're one of the strongest heroes. You know, it's so awesome to be here and just, you know, just encouragement as much as I can. Now, because of HIPAA, you don't know exactly, you know, what's going on or whatnot. And, um, and so I gave the parents my information i was just like hey you know if you if you want to have me come by and visit let me know Uh, i'm here um i think it was 20 it was 2014 yeah and uh, i was just like i'm here Uh, i'll come by and do a special visit if you want you know and they were so happy they're just like yeah she was really trained it was a long day and she saw you and she brightened up so thank you so much for coming down it's just like yeah awesome you know i never heard back from them so i you know i was just like okay you know and I started doing my hospital visits and I started getting other military people involved. I ended up buying costumes like crazy. My wife got really mad and <laughs> <laughs> minion, Tigger, Minnie Mouse, you know, yeah, yeah. Power Ranger started taking these military guys and just going down there and just trying to bring smiles and happiness and, and joy and stuff like that. And, uh, and then I went to Rady Children's Hospital and I got involved with uh, another guy. Uh, Dr. Wu, a.k.a. Dr. Batman, mm-hmm. who he heard about, you know, uh, me and him started collaborating together. He heard about me and we started to do hospital visits together. He had his own nonprofit organization and and I started teaching him the, the ways like, hey, watch out for this, do this and that kind of yeah. stuff because I've been doing it for some time. Amazing, beautiful soul, him and his wife, just truly remarkable. Um, and he just he took what I had and just exploded. Wow. And and for me, I did as many events as I could, but I'm only one person. I still have my military um obligation and then my my family. And then there was uh, a little boy that uh was a friend of the family who had cancer and his name was Aiden. And Aiden ended up having a relapse in his uh and his cancer and when that happened i let them know like hey you know i can do a hospital visit did a hospital visit and then i prayed about it and i felt prompted by god to do uh do a charity event for him i was going to try to attempt to run 300 miles dressed up as spider-man <laughs> try to raise funds and prayers and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah um hold on give me one minute yeah, hey um so i told the parents and the parents were like yeah definitely and so i started doing uh i did that event and i started doing events at at spider-man i started running 5ks half marathons i did that event Uh, by the way i didn't make the 300 i ended up getting hurt but i I did 180 miles so i got somewhere (laughs) so you did 100 you did one mile even (laughs) uh so, and, you know, I did, there's a place called Cow's Mountain in uh, San Diego. It's like a, a Cow's Mountain. Yeah. Cow's Mountain. It's what the heck. Hold on. Let me see here. 
It's like one, I think it's 1.5 miles up. Yeah. Whoa. Cows Mountain. Cows Mountain. Yeah. C-O-W-L-E-S. And so it's 1.5 miles up, 1.5 miles down. And I had the bright idea. There was a little girl who had terminal cancer. And she came across my page and I was just like, you know what, let me, let me do something to help raise money for her. So I was just like, what can I do? I'm limited because I can't do the big events that I normally would like because I'm limited on my support. Um, so I ended up saying, you know what, let me go do something where it's just going to be me. Me and my wife were kind of unfortunately going through our marriage issues. And I, this is when I was started putting my charity as my idol, unfortunately. Um, and so she was just like, hey, I want nothing to do with it. You're on your own. So I'm like, okay, I need some place where I'm not going to have to go far. So I was like, you know what? Going up and down a mountain sounds good. I'll do that. So I ended up going to Cow's Mountain and ended up going up and down uh, until I got to 43 miles to represent the 43 children that are diagnosing with cancer every day in America wow. as Spider-Man. And uh, yeah, there's a, let me see. Why, uh, I think there was a news article on this one yeah so i'll send you the link to this there's a link to that one there um so yeah so we raised funds and, and trying to get prayers and it, that was a tough one because before the event was over the, the little girl ended up passing away and that was very hard uh, but we still continued on till we reached our point um and then uh aiden ended up passing away during his event as well and just you start encountering these situations where you know how jade lived and you hope it'll be the same thing but you know right it's, it's not always the case god has his reasons for the seasons and uh you know that started to affect me mentally i started relapsing my ptsd stuff my marriage was kind of going south and eventually came down to you know me and my wife we ended up going our separate ways uh you know we're just like hey you know i can't be with somebody that's going to be doing this and and she had every right to you know, she had every right to. I, I wasn't respecting my family the way I should have. There's no point in trying to save the world if your own world is falling apart. Yes. And so it was a very big lesson for me to learn. And and so for about three years, me and my wife were separated. But I still, we still live, we got a bigger house. I lived in the bottom. Um, but because of my daughter's medical conditions, because after cancer, you have so many side effects. Uh, liver transplant. My daughter takes like 15 meds a day and she will probably for the rest of her life. And so me and my wife, we still love each other. We just were going different directions, but we always put our children first, no matter what. And so we became the bigger person, just like, hey, you know, our children need us. So we're going to do this until our oldest daughter can get better medically. And I was okay with it. And, you know, I did my thing. She did her thing. Mm -hmm. But then God, you know, if you, if you see God, if you truly see God with all your heart, no matter your situation, he will bring you where you need to be. And that's exactly what happened to me and my wife. After about three years, God was just like, are you done playing this game? Are you done putting yourself first? Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you right now, you have a choice to make. Like you have to make the choice right now. He spoke to, to my wife and, and we, you know, we got in on, we got in recording too. We have a dash cam in our vehicle and it, it may, people may not believe it, 
but she was talking and she, and she was saying things out loud that she could not have known at all. But somehow she did because we were separated at this time. Like about your situation? About my situation and what I was wow. going through. Uh-huh. And God revealed it to her and it's all caught on camera. And my wife has never been a person. My wife has been always authentic. And that's why I loved her from the very beginning when she said, right. I don't think I can wait for you. Right, right, <laughs> don't right. get more authentic than that. Yeah. So she's never been the type to play games with me. Um. So when she told me that, and then she said, hey, if you don't believe me, it's on the dash cam. And I believed her, but I was like, you know what? Let me, let me check the dash cam just to make sure, <laughs> you know? Right. And sure enough. And, and it comes down to this, Theo. Are you following his scriptures? Every problem that you have in this world is in scriptures. If you truly look at it and search it with your, it's a living word of God. If you open up your spirit to it, it will reveal the truth to you. Are you fellowshipping the church? And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the people, the body of Christ. Are you truly giving yourself into the body of Christ? And then your time with God. Are you having your moments with God? If you do those three things authentically with all your heart and soul, God will reveal himself to you and the path you need to go down. And that's what happened. And I dropped everything. I was just like, I had a path that, you know, I could have been very successful in a different area. So I thought with my charities and I had partner and this and that that was going on that I was just like, this is it. This is like, this is my time to go help save the world. But God gave me a choice. You can't serve two masters. You will love one and you will hate the other. And when I got down to it, I let that go. And it wasn't like a sacrifice at all. Not at all. Once I finally got back with God wholeheartedly, it was a breath of fresh air. It was like this: these blinds that were on me, and I finally was able to see clear again. And I had peace in my relationship with my wife that I hadn't had in so long. And Theo, like I love my wife more than probably when I first met her. Like. I see her as just this magnificent gift of a blessing from God. And I've never had that feeling to this extent until I truly gave my whole being and my marriage to God. And it's so beautiful. And in our rings that we have when we first got married, it has forever in God. Because that's the only way it's going to be forever. You rely on each other. You're human. You're going to let each other down. You rely on your job. You rely on this world. It's going to fail you if you make your foundation. And then what do you have? But you put it on the word of God, which is everlasting. And you'll never fail. And you'll never fall in the ways that this world wants you to. But you just have to stay there. <laughs> when I finally got grips on that, when I finally put my wants and desires of Reuben to the side and my pride, you know, God brought me back. And I'm just so grateful because Hevel, Evil is my life, but a vapor. Who am I that the good Lord will come down and intervene and be like, hey, I still have, have a journey for you if you want it. Even after I turn my back in so many ways, mm-hmm. I am blessed, man. So blessed. I don't deserve it. But through the blood of Christ, I am renewed. I am saved. I'm forgiven. And forever is his love and mercy. I'm just blessed to have that in my life. He restored my family. Wow. Wow. Man, as you're sharing that and um, 
I'm blown away by this journey that you've 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 gone on and and also for us to find each other here now um this wouldn't have happened this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for something God was doing in in, in both of our lives um I definitely think that the encouragement that you've given um I'm sure a lot of people may have missed that in their own relationship with their wives and you know understanding the world of themselves even and um even for myself, I'm not a perfect person. I always say this on my podcast. I'm not a perfect person, and even that, that, that conviction that you've given me about marriage and and my walk with God, man, like there's so many things that I, I am taking away from this conversation, of, of needing to improve. You know that that not enoughness of, of that. I definitely feel like God is the only thing that can fill, those voids and those holes, and I definitely don't feel like I've done that enough in my relationship with God as well, and and um. But I, I consider myself a work in progress. And, and I think it's, I, I, I want to say thank you for that for that conviction. And thank you for living that example in your own life. Because yeah, you can't share that. You can't share that with me if you don't actually live that yourself. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's just so, so beautiful. Um, man, to see the, 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 the journey that God has taken you on. Um, and so I know I know that right now you're currently dealing with some health stuff as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> how's that affecting you? Yeah, it's been rough. Uh, you know, being in the military, you know, I've been in for 19 years and done some amazing things, served with some amazing people. Um, but it does wear and tear on your body. I've been exposed to certain things from chemical plants to burn pits and a botched saw a, a, bat, a botched saw operation. Um, where, you know, I got exposed to CHT, <laughs> which is essentially the crap of the ship that deplores all its nastiness. Um, I don't know. You want to, you want a funny story? There we go. Let's go. I'll give you a, I'll give you a funny story here. It's the, the many, one of many. So doing search and rescue, um, sometimes we're on call. And that means that as soon as, you know, hey, man overboard or this happens, whatever happens, right. um, you have to go out there and you might be the wet guy. And the wet guy is the person that ends up uh, jumping out of the helicopter. And then you got your crew chief who's the one that managed the, the, the hoist and then brings you back up. And so I'm, a, I'm asleep. Um, it's me and another guy. My call sign is Golden Boy. His call sign is Bobcat. Um, aviation thing. And so I'm asleep and he comes in. Bobcat comes in and he's like, bro, we got a man overboard. We got to go. So I jump out of bed, you know, in my rack. I'm going to jump out of my rack and... I'm not even half awake when I'm already kind of leaning out of the helicopter looking for a body in the water. Right. And then we come up on the body and it's just, okay, we spot it. So we go through our procedures, you know, uh, coming up. Uh, what do we do? I think we did a 10, 10, which is, uh, going 10 knots, uh, 10 feet above the, the water. And then, um, you know, you, you deploy one, two, three, and then I jumped out of the helicopter. Right. And go over there. Hey buddy, you okay? You know, grab the person it was a mannequin deal that's it why i started mannequin. giggling because i was like where's the funny part and i could assume it was <laughs> so i grab the mannequin i do my procedures he still went through with <laughs> i give my signal hey hoist lift me up get up there and the pilot's in the front she's like all right what's going on how's the patient doing i don't think the patient's gonna make it sir Take a look. 
and he's like, see ya. <laughs> so he he turns around. It's it's like a little tunnel thing in the helicopter. He turns around. Yeah. We we are livid though, by the way. So just to kind of give you context here, whenever we go out there and we do a search and rescue, uh, we give it everything we got. We are risking our lives to save this person, right? Right. Mm-hmm. If we are doing a training scenario, there are certain things that have to be in place. There have to be a safety helicopter, a safety boat, and, and it has to be briefed out and everything like that, right? So there's a huge procedure, protocol, SOP, right. standard, oper- uh, standard yeah. operating procedures, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And so... Something happened in the chain of command that we later found out was the CO of the boat. CO decided to say, hey, let's find out how long it takes for the search and rescue team to recover a body. Let's throw it overboard. Boy, here we go. On top of that, somebody decided to disperse the CHT, which is pretty much the sewage and all the crap of the ship. So guess what I was swimming in? Oh, <gasps> oh. Wait, so it's separate? Like the CO didn't know that CHT was being released or was it part of that? No, the, the CO didn't know. Well, at least I hope he didn't know. Oh but they, they have they have certain procedures in which they release it. You have to be at like a certain distance from from shore and all that kind of stuff. And then you release it, release it and it goes out. Oh. And so, um, and I knew the water tasted kind of funny. <laughs> I jumped oh in there. I, I, I jumped into I've jumped into the water in the Atlantic, the Pacific, uh, the Mediterranean. I, I've been around the world and I've jumped in many waters and, and something was wrong with that one. And so when I got back, I was ticked off. We were all For livid. Sure. Yeah. And so I get back to the ship, we we land, and uh, you know, as soon as I find out what happened, uh Bobcat starts laughing up a storm. He's like, You swam in for better words crap so i i went up to go take a shower and on the ship sometimes there's regulations on water nobody was going to mess with me i was staying in that shower as long as i wanted to try to get all this crap off of me the ceo comes down he apologizes hey i'm sorry this and that and it was just not to get too political but let's just say i had a fight to make sure i got that put in my medical record and the truth exposed because people like to right hide certain things but yeah so the day I saved the mannequin, risked my life to save. Uh, we called it Oscar. Oscar is what we referred to as the mannequins. So <laughs> the day I, the day I saved Oscar, and the dramatic jumping of the helicopter into oh, crap. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, so that's just that the CHT stuff is not just it's not just waste and you know feces and pee or whatever. It's like it's other stuff too. Sounds like yeah, it's it's a variety. Yeah, it's a it's a variety of crap from the ship. Um, but you know, for me, what uh, you know, that's that funny story for you know, I got exposed to that. But at the end of it, though, this stuff does affect you. It does affect your body. It does you know, and chemical plants burn pits later on in Iraq. Um, have some breathing issues and whatnot, and now somehow in my stomach, my cells are mutating, and I got diagnosed with like Barrett and a few other things, and. And so I have to change up my diet. I'm changing up my diet and just, I have to go in to get uh, a little camera down my throat to get the cells uh, checked. And it's, it sucks. It really does suck because, you know, you want to be at a hundred percent and sometimes right. you're not because of a variety of factors or whatever it might be. And sometimes you may not even know if it was those certain circumstances that contributed to it. Um, I registered with the burn pit, which anybody who's in the military, if you've been exposed to burn pits, chemical plants, make sure you register. There's a burn pit, burn pit registration that the uh, military can register on. 
so they monitor you and, and if there's any cancers that arise you don't want to wait to for something to happen and something to show up mm-hmm. before you register register now and just get in the system because they'll monitor you right. um in the long run but but yeah so i got that going on and you know with uh with me and my wife you know when we got back together you know officially and going forward with life and you know God is good. We're just so blessed. We got a good church family uh, at a church near near us called the Rock. It's a different type of rock. It's just the same name. Right. <laughs> God, wow, interesting. God, God has a sense of humor, I think. <laughs> yeah. How long? Uh, how long has it been since you guys got back together? Let's see. Was it when was COVID? Twenty twenty. So twenty twenty one started. Yeah, end of it. So so twenty twenty one to November of twenty twenty one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, November 2021. Oh, so it hasn't even been two years yet. Yeah. Maybe two years coming up. Yeah. So wow. we just, we've been so blessed, but we also know, you know, there's there's a spiritual attack. Like, yeah, God said he's going to restore our, our uh, family. And for me, I thought it was just my immediate family, but I can see how it's extending to my bigger family. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all God, just different things that's happening. And, um, you know, but there's also, there's a spiritual warfare we're in, you know, because, um, you know, last August, my my little girl, uh, my nine year old Evelyn, uh, she ended up losing the ability to walk, and you know, you kind of put you through the roller coaster of which went through with 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 my daughter, my oldest daughter Christina, about cancer. So it's just like, oh no, what's going on here? You know, you go through that whole scenario again, and they called it a convergent disorder. It's like a neurological condition mm. that um, is triggered by uh, anxiety. And, uh, so my daughter ended up in a wheelchair and I'm like, is this really happening? Like, is this, is this, uh, is this going to be my new life? Right. And, but they told us it's one of those diagnoses where if they can't figure out what it is, they, they say it's this. And so they said, we can go to physical therapy. We, we went through physical therapy. Um, and it, it's just trying to get her into a good mindset as well, where she feels like she's she's at peace and comfortable and good to go safe. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, started our journey with her being in the, in the wheelchair. Um, we had the church praying for her, everybody praying for her. Um, and eventually from August to about April time frame, um, she was from a wheelchair to a walker to a knee scooter. Um, and then eventually in May timeframe, she was like completely able to walk and run and everything. Wow. So just truly, truly blessed. But it's one of those situations like where the, where the heck did that come from? Right. You know, yeah. like legitimately, like where How that was come that necessary? From? <laughs> right. You know, and, and I know bad things don't come from God, but God will allow bad things to happen in order to bring him glory. You know, just like the blind man, you know some of the people are asking well whose sin was it this man or was it his parents and right. you know jesus just like no it's to bring glory to god and i think that's what that was to bring glory to god because even though we were praying for the big miracle of her being able to walk we were getting the small miracles which we didn't even realize which is the growth and the faith as a family right and that's what happens during these hardships because you can either just go through it or you can grow through it mm-hmm. you can become bigger and better because of what you're going through that it doesn't take away the fact that you're going to feel what you're going to feel. Our emotions are our God-given gift. 
but it's what you do with those emotions that is so imperative. Do you give them to the world where for a man, you get into drinking and porn and all these other things that are not of God, right. or do you give it to God where he says, it's okay, come to me, all you who weary and burden, and I shall give you rest. Mm. I am here. Give me your tears. Right. For I know you better than you know yourself. I know every hair in your head. And and that's what we did. They're these small miracles that we were receiving of the growth in Christ and as a family and through the church. We finally got the bigger miracle. Right. God had a plan and he, he did a good job of fulfilling that. It doesn't take away the pain, but it brings a comfort to know that, you know, our, we have a loving father that will allow certain things for a bigger picture to come. Right. Yeah, that 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 application of it is 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 something that it, that changes prayer how you go about it. Um, you know, a lot of people would pray for the storm to lessen or um, you know, pray for it to pass quickly, but the real prayer should be, Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me so that I can go through this storm, so I can conquer this storm. Um, and that's that's something that if you think about it from God's perspective, and I know it's going to be really difficult to do that, but just think about that, the, the, the difference in prayer, right? It's like, lessen the storm or, hey, Lord, strengthen me and give you the strength. Give me the strength to overcome this and and may it be of purpose. Like which one would which one would serve a will better? <laughs> Obviously, the one that makes you strengthen yourself uh, to 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 get past. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it was Les Brown. I heard him say this. I listened to a lot of motivational speakers when I was going through my my, one, yeah. my stuff. But he was like, you know, life is God's gift to us. And how we live that life is our gift to God. Make it a good gift. And so that really helped me through a lot of my trials that I have faced. Is this is this the kind of gift, you know, when I, years ago, when I did look at porn, years ago, when I did drink, and years ago, when I was doing all these things that were contrary to what God wanted me to do, what kind of gift was I given to God, the God who gave us his only begotten son? That was no gift that was given my Lord. And so I had to change it up. It didn't happen overnight. Some people do get that miracle. But for me, it took time, time of just seeking God wholeheartedly. And when you, you know, when you do fall, you get back up with Christ, but you confess it to a brother. Hey, I looked at porn. Hey, I'm having this drinking issue. Hey, this is what's going on. These sins, they want to stay in the darkness. Oh, you'll be fine. You just looked at porn this one time. You'll be over it. Oh, you just drank this one drink or you got drunk. It's okay. It happens. You don't need to tell anybody. That's where they want you to think. But that's not God. God says expose it to the light. Mm -hmm. Share it with a brother. Have them pray for you and lift you up. Don't carry this cross alone. And when I started exposing my darkness years ago with my wife, and then with my brothers, guess what? The chains were no longer there. And now I just rebuke it. I get those temptations. It's not a sin to be tempted. Temptation happens. Jesus was tempted. But following Jesus' examples, it is written. You know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Get behind me, darkness. You know, I, I am preparing a good gift for my Lord. I'm going forward in Him. And though I am not perfect, I serve a perfect God who knows what I need.
and I will seek him for my comfort. Wow. I was going to ask you, what kind of advice would you give fathers or fathers who are looking to improve their life? And I think you've pretty much answered that with, with that, that answer. And and I and I and I wanted I want I usually like to to end this these these conversations this way is of how do you have any anything you want to say to your to your kids or to your to your wife as a as a bit of a time capsule piece that you know you know your youngest child sees this later on and and oh and, yeah hmm. yeah the um yeah that's that's uh, another thing I'll just add is uh i got uh i got a little one on the way we named him gideon <laughs> so his you know the odds are against him unfortunately they uh my wife's 25 weeks pregnant they're saying that uh there is no amniotic fluid that uh there's cysts covering his kidneys and his lungs are not going to be developed and that he can pass it any day and even if he does by miracle make it to to birth he won't live that long but I trust in God. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I trust in the one who brings tomorrow. And I know God will always have the final word. And so for my family, for my wife, for my children, always trust in God no matter what. Always believe that though you don't understand why we're going through the seasons we are, trust that it is to bring him glory, that there is a bigger plan at hand, that the pain will not go to waste, that these delights that we face in life are for a reason. And that reason is because God sees a David inside of you and knows that you can conquer it if you follow him. But yeah. It's a great reminder for us all, for sure. And um, you've definitely through the gamut. You've been th you've been through through a lot of it through through your story. I wanted to you know thank you for for sharing so openly and and uh, you know praise the Lord that you know he opened us opened us up you know to have this conversation together and and uh, as I see it unfold and how it went and and it was a it was an absolute joy to 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 sit here and um and I, I just want to say thank you for allowing me to even come into your life and to see uh even but a glimpse of of what it was like to be Reuben um and your walk with God and and um uh, you know at the very least I, I'm taking away a lot for myself and for my own family and for my own walk with the Lord and and um yeah I'm just so blown away by this journey um this is yeah. an amazing conversation no, thank thank you and thank you for the opportunity to be able to to present this because I've never it's normally it's just counselors and therapists, you know. I never actually done it like this before. So it's a good time capsule and um you know, that's just truly amazing just what God has put me through. And I didn't even get to talk about this guy here, but it's still truly truly I didn't amazing. bring it up because you know we had conversations about it and <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, if you want to, because you're gonna edit this, I can I can talk about it briefly. It's up to you. I don't. Yeah. I have no problem. No, we can go. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, um, when I was doing Spider Man, um, there was women being attacked in my neighborhood in North Park, 
and I wanted to do something about it. And so I saw on Netflix about the real life superheroes and I'm like, OK, and they made they made fun of them because they seem like dorky guys or whatever. But there were some of them that were legit. And there was this guy named Mr. Extreme who was in San Diego. And Mr. Extreme was actually doing a campaign down in North Park against these uh, people that were there was like one or two of them that was attacking women, trying to legitimately rape them. So I hit up my local um, neighborhood watch. They didn't exist. They had a title, but they didn't do anything. So after seeing this Netflix thing, I was like, let me hit up this Mr. Extreme. Let's see how legit he is. And even though he looked kind of goofy in his costume, he was legit. So he was just like, yeah, if you want to come patrol, we'll go patrol. And so what do we do? We go out there. We make sure they don't rape anybody. Show a presence. So I was like, all right, let's do it. Do I wear a costume? He's like, yeah, put your costume on. So I put the costume on, put a bunch of things together and went out there and did my first patrol in North Park. And it was awesome. It was incredible. Not only did I feel like I was contributing, but it helped with my PTSD because, you know, in this category of life, hey, you have a gun and all this stuff. In this new chapter, it was all about doing something to help people on de-escalation. And so everybody has to come up with a call sign of some sort in in the real life superhero community. What's going to be your superhero name? And so I was just like, well... When I was in Iraq, I was originally called Fallen Boy. I mean, Golden Boy. I was originally called Golden Boy, but I, I went nuts in Iraq and I did a lot of bad things. Mm. So one of the guys changed my name to Fallen Boy. He's just like, you're not Golden Boy, you're Fallen Boy. So I kept it. So I took Fallen Boy, which was a bad chapter of my life. And I put in the real life superheroes to make that chapter, that name into something good. Wow. And so I took Fallen Boy. And so Fallen Boy is what I went for. And... It has been a crazy adventure of just going out there into the streets of downtown San Diego, helping out people um, in regards to being intoxicated, trying to go into the streets as small as that to even uh, a kid, not a woman, right? I'll give you one. This is one scenario of many. It was like zero three hundred, and we just got done with our patrol. And there's this woman. She's in tears. She's crying. You know, very well dressed lady, young, probably in her early twenties. She's like, "I'm so intoxicated right now. I need help. Can you please help me find like a taxi or something?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure." And even though we wear these costumes, like people know about us. You know, right. we we made ourselves known, and we had a good yeah, rapport yeah. with the police, and we gave them our our uh, our nonprofit organization card. And we look at her and we're like, "What about that guy that's next to you, your boyfriend?" And she's like, "What guy?" And the guy took off running. He was getting ready to, to attack her. He was waiting. So what they do is they find these girls when the bars are closed and they stalk them and they wait until they go into a part of the, the city that's not really seen. And then they do whatever they do. Yeah. And so that's wow. just one, that's just one scenario. And then you get these other scenarios where you get guys that want to mug the intoxicated. Mm. And, you know, the way we deal with it is if you're going to have to profile. That's just what you have to do. So we yeah. saw a surfer guy that looked kind of raggedy with a, he looked kind of Korean, very dressed, well-mannered guy. But the Korean guy was like really intoxicated. And we come up to them. We're just like, Hey, what's going on here? Surfer dudes. Oh no, he's my bro. We're good. And we're just like, okay. And the guy just can't even talk. The the, the Korean right. guy can't even talk at all. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, well, Hey, you know what? Come with us. So we separate them and we asked the surfer guy, okay, well, what's his name? Oh, his name's like uh, Kim. All right. And then we talked to the guy and, and hey, you got your like your ID or something? And he shows his ID. His name was not Kim. <laughs> oh. So what he was doing is he was pretending to be his buddy, right? And they would try to take their wallets like and stuff like that. Him, yeah. Right. So you get wow. scenarios. You get scenarios like that, and then you get other scenarios where you find bodies on the ground. We we found a guy that had 
he was he, i think he, he looked he looked japanese he came it's the tourist attraction area yeah and so he was just covered in all, all his bodily fluids and people just passed by people just passed by and blood, we come out and blood and stuff uh like throw up mucus oh, right. uh yeah feces everything and um and he i think he hit his head too so there was a little bit of blood but we come up on the scene we call an ambulance he had od'd he had od'd and people just passing by him wow and that's what people do people people end up pulling out their phones not so much to call 911 but to take pictures and record right. And so for us, when I got into the extreme justice league and the real life superhero community, I knew I wanted to make a difference and make a change. And even though it is sort of comical in the sense of, you know, you're putting on a mask and all this stuff, there's a reason for that to hide your identity. Cause we did run into drug dealers, pimps, and all these different types of crazy people that if they see you in the streets by yourself, guess what? They might come after you. Right. If you want extraordinary results, you got to do extraordinary things. Why do you wear the costume? Why don't you just wear regular clothes? Well, guess what? If I didn't wear the costumes, you wouldn't know the cause. You wouldn't even be talking to me right now. Mm-hmm. But because I wear the costumes, you talk to me. And I guess what I tell you, I tell you about the homeless problem that we have here, that has, more has to be done. I tell you about the people that we watch out for, and we encourage people to watch out for each other. Mm-hmm. And when something happens, like somebody's about to get attacked, and there's no police around, guess what? We'll be right there. We've had scenarios where we pinned down a guy, and this guy was just going all crazy and nuts. Police come, and then a mob forms. And it just happens to be two Caucasian cops and the, you know, the, the guy turned out to be African-American. And guess what's, what they think? Oh, police brutality. So we form a perimeter around the police until other police come by. You know, you get scenarios like that. Wow. And the, the probably the one that really strikes home to me is the homeless outreaches. You get, you know, like a six-year-old little girl coming out of a little tent. It shouldn't be that way, but it is, unfortunately. Jeez. And, you know, you, you hand them food, supplies, and all these different types of things. And you get to know the community on a different level. And, um, you know, it's not like the comic books, though. It, it's knives stab you. Guns will kill you. We bu- we wear bullet resistant vests. We follow by the penal codes of California in regards to citizens arrest as far as um, pepper spray, the amount that you got to have right. everything. You have to do it right, because if you do end up doing oh, citizens arrest, you better make sure you know what you're doing. Right. You better make sure you have your ducks in a row. And it's all about de-escalation. We're not here to be prideful. Oh, I'm a superhero. Screw that. Right. No, we're here. About it. Yeah, we're we're here to make a difference. But guess what? If you want extraordinary results, you got to do extraordinary things. You put on a costume, people are going to ask you more questions. And that's when you direct them towards the problems. Right, right. Yeah, there's the responsibility piece. And that's definitely a Spider-Man thing is you're it's no it's no easy thing to 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 just do that. Yeah. And so, you know, after you uh, you have your probation period and then you get that little. It's an official real life superhero badge. And right, I saw that. And I was like, Yeah, you go out there, you, you do your patrols and you do your homeless outreaches. And you know, I even had a a, a turnaround. Uh, I guess come back around in a circle. There was a, a girl that was in I don't know if she was in the military, but she was found unconscious on the ground, young, mid-20s. And we picked her up and like, hey, what's going on? This or that. Um, we always offer medical attention in regards to calling the ambulance, but sometimes they don't want it. So we're like, okay, you know, as long as it doesn't look too bad, we're just like, okay. And then we walk them to their hotels or whatever. And then they go about their business. We give them our card. Hey, if anything, do you have any questions? Let us know. Well, I go into work. um, And like a week later, one of my coworkers comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, are you part of some vigilante group? And of course, I'm quick to, to correct. I'm like, well, no, we're just vigilant. We're not vigilantes. Vigilantes are there with swords and knives and all that crap. Right. We're just vigilant. And I was just like, well, yeah, I'm part of something. Yeah. And he's just like, well, you saved my sister. 
<laughs> that girl that we helped was his sister. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and when we picked her up, she, it, it was like 2.30 in the morning, bro. Freaking little brick wall by herself. Young, nice looking girl. And you see a lot of that. Right. A lot of bad things that happened down there. It was a party town. What's that gas lamp? Like, yeah, gas. it's a party town, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, and wow, I can. Yeah. That's, That's crazy. crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's resistance getting that story out because you know you've probably put away a lot of people that uh, you know shouldn't be in society, obviously. And I mean, I, I and I have no fear about that. <laughs> this podcast isn't like you know super crazy, or you know everybody will hear it. But you know, there's a lot of points in this in this in this podcast where I'm like, man, like you know, you've talked about people that you've helped and, you know, carried the cross. And I mean, I always wonder like where, where those people are. And, and, and I'm glad you had that moment with SUNY, even though it, it didn't turn out the way that you, you expected and, 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 and wanted it to, but um, man, your story, you are, you are a man of service. You are a man of servant. You are a servant to so many people. Um, and that's encouraging to me for sure. Yeah, I'm just just a weak man serving a strong God, man. <laughs> the more I give to him, the more he can he can do. And I'm just very blessed to have him. Yeah. And he magnifies himself through us. And then the, the weaker that we are, the stronger that he looks. And that's that's really the the the, the joy of the journey. Um yeah. are there any last words you want to share or anything that you feel you still want to get off your chest or no, I think I covered everything, man. You know, just the uh Last quote I would say is I forgot who the motivational speaker was, um, but he put it like this way when it comes to life. Pain is temporary. It may last a minute, an hour, or a day, or even a year, but eventually it will subside and something else will take its place. If you quit, however, it will last forever. And that's always, that's been one of those ones that has helped me through because you go forward in that pain and if you just give up, then that pain will be forever. But if you grow through it, if you continue to strive forward in God, you will get through it and, and something else will be replaced with it. Something called growth, called wisdom. And that is a tool that can be used to help other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Wow. Beautiful. Um, is there is there any way for people to kind of follow? And I mean, I know that you're a you know you you you're aspiring to be to use your story in a more powerful way about wanting to be a speaker and and you know you're going to look to write a book and stuff. Is there if somebody w- was interested in your story and wanted to reach out to you, is there a way for them to do that um, that you recommend? Yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me um, right now, it's just Spider Man for a cause. Spider Man, just how you spell it, the number four, and then a cause and i'm on all social media groups i'll be uh streaming again <laughs> i'm gonna get back into streaming but uh yeah and that's for me it's if you have uh anybody that wants a spider-man video of encouragement or you know if anybody wants to know a little bit more um let me know that's what i got right now eventually i'm just you know letting god kind of lead me in what direction he wants me on so i'm kind of going off of that one for now Mm. And you're doing it. You're doing a, a fantastic job sharing the story, man. I, I, you know, you were very real and natural, and it came out so, so uh, candidly. You, you really weren't, uh, you know, hiding anything. And, and um, I, 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 I'm glad that I get to be a part of your life, and I get to support you through this. And, 
And uh, yeah, definitely. I, you know, I know you uh, for some months and you are genuinely one of the most uh, incredible people that I know and you bear such a burden. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to say thank you again. Thank you for sharing everything that you did here. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we get another conversation in the future. Yeah, I'm all about it. It's been a pleasure, uh, definitely a blessing. So thank you for having me. Awesome, man. All right. And so, yeah, thank you for tuning into the podcast. Uh, thank you for, you know, supporting uh, wherever you are. And, and uh, yeah, definitely reach out to Ruben if you are interested in any of the things that he's doing and you want to support him. Um, definitely stay tuned for that. We're going to have more conversations with other dads. Um, again, if you're you're a father listening to this and you you are interested in this community, man, we'd love to have you. We meet up on Thursdays. We got Bible study on Mondays. We have um, we have also personal development groups that we're we're working on. And and uh, if you can support this work, you know it's it's not easy to be able to do this. Uh, that's why I have a Patreon and a membership. Um, it goes to support what I do through Noble Father, and this is everything that I am committed to. Um, you know, this is my work and as you've heard of Ruben's work and, and, um, I definitely would love to have your support in, in doing this. And so until next time, thank you for tuning in. Bye for now. Please show your support for the Noble Father podcast by recommending the podcast to your family and friends. You can also subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And also, if you know a father who is interested in a regular meetup every week where they can show up authentically and share the best parts of themselves, some of the struggles they're going through, some of the wins that they have, and even some lessons to bless other fathers with, and um, also have them in our Facebook community, um, just a bunch of men who genuinely care about one another and just share space and hold it for one another. Thank you very much for listening to the Noble Father Podcast. Until next time, bye for now.